All right, you're listening to the Raleigh Bitcoin Meetup podcast. We're going to start out with a proactive question. Is it possible to be pro-big government and also pro-Bitcoin at the same time? Let's start out by defining pro-big government with just some simple policies that kind of people are pro-big government generally like, like not controversial communist stuff, but like more FDR type stuff. I don't know. That'd be a hard thing to define. Maybe I could say, is it consistent to want the powers of government to increase and at the same time want a Bitcoin world? Does that get me so away pro from defining So pro-regulations, <laughs> but pro-Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm not anti-all regulations like, like Guy over here, but... Um, <laughs> like pro pro blacklist and pro bitcoin. I don't See, think I'm, you could be. I'm oh, no, pro regulation. I'm totally pro regulation. Yeah. Bitcoin is highly regulated. That regulation is built in and cannot be cheated <laughs> by itself. But <laughs> yes, and like so I'm I'm way pro regulation. In fact, my problem is that the government sucks at regulation. <laughs> Because when they try to regulate, they just get corrupted because all you have to do is buy six idiots in a room who are only there because they're full of shit anyway. You're talking about us right now? Yes. Yes. Um, but it's so easy to buy a politician that the regulation just becomes corrupt and it just becomes a who can pay for the politician. So I think government is simply a terrible way to implement regulation. In fact, I believe a free market would be far, far more stringent on a lot of things than the government is. I think it'd be far more stringent on pollution because it's a property rights problem if my air is not clean and it's your fault. Um, I think all across the board, um, for anything that was meaningful and was actually like paid for by other people, like an externality, the regulation would be far worse in a free market. So you're arguing against the motion? <laughs> Wait, no, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm arguing so. against big government because I think big government destroys the ability to regulate things because it's such a centralized vulnerability to work in the favor of someone specific. But could a Bitcoiner be pro big government? I think the most sensible reason to do it would be as a hedge. That you bet on both both horses. <laughs> you bet on socialism and you know catastrophic. It's like believing in God just in case. And if the catastrophic failure of socialism. No. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here a bit. Because I think in this group, we probably have a lot of people that like big, uh, are anti-big government. But I could believe in big government um, and think that there's a lot of, it's, there's a, what is it, a, a, a little bit of a, not Ponzi scheme, but <clears throat> the sep believe that separating government and money makes sense. That's a great point. So, so that we could really tax fairly and, ha you know, th to have a big government that's... Uh, a more fair government. Yeah. yeah. So you're only yeah, trying to okay. fix the single issue of money. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I guess a good point here is when I think of big government, I think of money is part of the reason that government can get so big. It's hard for me to imagine a bigger government that didn't also maintain control of money. But I guess theoretically that's possible to have a big government. Let's do a 70% income maybe. tax, but you know, have the gold or Bitcoin standard or Bitcoin standard, I guess if I'm pro Bitcoin. So I'm willing to go on record and say that every lawyer is 
pro big government. Of course. Um, but I'd like to go further and say that I am pro Bitcoin and pro government because one, big government is job security for me. Um, <laughs> and having a good job allows me to buy more Bitcoin. So, uh, yes, this is possible. I guess I was. Is it, is it right? No. But does it exist? Yes, maybe. I guess I always assumed that like there was a large amount of libertarian lawyers. Is that not the case? Is it too against your own economic interests? No, I, I definitely think there are. I just still am not quite sure what a libertarian is. Okay. You know, you know I, I mean, I don't mean to be flippant by saying that, but I just I often find myself thinking that's a very libertarian viewpoint and then wondering, you know, is it just a futile thought? I think an article I was reading today, that Nick Carter, Carter article, um, made an interesting point that Libertarians never succeed at making smaller government by participating in the government process. And it's, mm-hmm. it's only by exiting the normal government processes that um, people are successful at reducing it. And he sees Bitcoin as one of those. Yeah, I don't see how you can be... I guess... I mean, certainly there are, are people. Like, I have conversations with those people that are pro-big government and pro Bitcoin, but I don't see how you could be pro this government, like the current state of our government and be pro Bitcoin. And I, I think it's a misunderstanding of how big government gets big. Like you said, is that it is strictly because of deficits, because of interest rate controls, um, because of the fact that they can, like they command so much much more capital than is easy to directly tax is how it becomes so large. It is the control of money, which is not possible in Bitcoin. I mean, think about it. We've run a de- deficit in this country. How many, like, what, infinitely since the 40s or something? Like, you know, like it just, it's perpetual. And the deficits now are ridiculous. Understand that couldn't be done once in Bitcoin. There's no way to run a deficit unless somebody actually has the funds available to lend them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to how Bitcoin will force government to reform itself based on reality. Mm-hmm. So that I think that pricing currently is completely out of control and we have to go into a shock. So some things are priced wrong by 10x in both directions. For instance, college is probably off by 10x. Healthcare is probably off by 10x to the upside probably disposable things like plastic and paper that we just throw away are actually probably 10x to the downside and that those things have to correct itself and the only way to correct itself is to have a actual sound money and then we'll get everything back to what it should be but we don't even really know what it should be it could be that maybe healthcare should be as expensive as it is but education isn't but until we have a real reset we're not going to know what things really cost yeah it is crazy how cheap plastic and paper stuff i would i would pay 10x for my floss sticks Floss yeah. sticks are the best invention ever. I think you could have um, a government that has no deficits. You know, you rebalance our budget every year by taxing. Let's let's just go crazy. Taxing ninety percent of income. So, and ninety percent of everything everyone makes goes to taxes. Um, we have a universal basic income of eh, twenty five hundred dollars a month. That's a that's a big government. That doesn't have to have its own money and could, it could be run on a Bitcoin standard. But, let me take a shot first, guy, because I know you're going to want to say. Um, I, I think uh, with like a huge, like a, even a 75% um, income tax, 
I think you would have so much resistance to that that you would have to increase the use of force by the government. Like you would, you would have more violence. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, that's what we're going for. All right. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard for me to see government collecting that rates of taxes without a lot of violence. I guess. I guess maybe that's not a problem. I don't know. I mean, it's a problem for me. I guess it's not a problem for you. <laughs> um, I think it'd be incredibly difficult, if not impossible, particularly in this country and this environment. And in the few countries that do, it's specifically because they tax that much specifically because they can't control their spending. And it is it is the spending that has to actually be controlled. Like, they have to be frugal and actually attempt to make legitimate decisions. And uh, you're also looking at a situation where the economy is going to have, like nobody is going to ever be able to mount, amount to anything. Uh, nobody is ever going to be able to build or essentially have anything. Like you're looking at a situation where everybody is just at this flat nothing rate. There won't be any innovation. You'll have to reach outside of only a, only a small country that can simply buy all of its crap from other countries can actually maintain that for any length of time. I think that's just a recipe for a give it 30 years and it's going to be a shit show. I also think the only reason we talk about tax rates that high is because the big or because the government's printing so much money that if they printed less money, you wouldn't need huge tax rates. Also the problem with 90% income tax is it punishes high income individuals, not people who just haven't already are wealthy and, you know, are investing their money. You definitely don't want a 90% income tax. I mean, I would prefer ridiculous, like, tariffs and isolationist policies before you would get a, a 90% income tax. So let, let me clarify. I, I advocate 90% for people making one million or more. <laughs> and zero if you make less. I, I, I think it's pretty accurate that the way people get taxed is the middle class pays for their own social programs and the rich don't pay for very much. And I don't think that will change no matter how you pretend like you reform government. Yeah, if you if you do a 90% over a million dollars, well, then everything else will just be invested back in the company. Like, they're, they're still going to appeal. You're, you're, you're looking for, you're hoping for a situation in which the government is not greedy. And the government is made of the same people that want the more than a million dollars. Same damn people. And they are going to be bought by someone else who wants to have $2 million, $3 million, a billion dollars, and it is going to serve them because the, the true economic power is always who can command the resources. And um, I just don't see how, like those, those people, the, the above million dollar taxes will just, they'll still live like billionaires. It will just look like they have a million dollars of income. Um, which is what we have today, really, is that like we supposedly have all these taxes on the rich, but it all comes from the middle class because the rich are specifically using it to get wealth from the middle class. Like you, you just give you give them a gun to point at everybody, and they use it. So if if there was a way for Bitcoin to solve the problem of the rich having excessive influence over the government, then would this help? Because, I mean, I guess I'm, I was just getting the sense that the root of the problem you were talking about was more the influence that the rich has over the government, right? It's just that the government is the central point of failure, is that yeah. it's a giant vulnerability. Um, like, whatever rule they make will simply 
be written and like written, bought and paid for and marketed by the person who benefits the most. I will say this, that like I do like check out like socialist websites every once in a while. I've never seen any of them who are pro Bitcoin. Like it's not even on their radar as something that would benefit them strategically to support. They're, they seem to be, I mean, they've never gone after the Federal Reserve, which is a, a big mistake. They don't, they think it benefits them because it prints free money instead of seeing that that's actually a problem. Yeah. That, that's interesting to me. Like I've always in the back of my mind thought these big socialist uprisings, well, not socialist, but you know, the Hong Kong protesters, the Occupy Wall Street, the Yellow Vest kind of, the resistance, the popular, whatever. It's always been surprising to me that these movements don't get behind Bitcoin. And yeah, I was surprised too. I mean, it. The only reason I can think of is because of maybe mm-hmm. like the, the uber responsibility that bitcoin requires like the ultra ownership the like you know you are in control of your private keys and if you lose it nobody can do anything about it do you think that is what turns off the these um popular movements having looked at it closely i think it's that the there's so much academic literature on socialism before bitcoin comes out that people are always looking at stuff from the 80s and earlier for what they think socialism should be that they don't have no one has factored in bitcoin and it's not cool to put like to do revisions when you have this like mainstay of literature i also think it's like a little bit like at odds with kind of the fundamental philosophy that a lot of these people have is most of them are just we need a good government it's not about they don't look for solutions external to government they look for solutions as the better candidate or the the better healthcare act or you know whatever it is like it's it's within the realm of government that they seek a solution yeah i don't think they anyone looks into it enough to like so Engels and marx were the forefathers of communism and anarchy so the end game of communism is you collapse the state and are kind of in this free you know anarchist communal situation i did not know that is that true that's true and no and no one had no one who's actually communist seems to be okay with breaking through to that level where you actually do collapse the state that's what you're trying to do which is strange it's because they always they their only method of actually achieving the supposed redistribution is through a state so they make the most powerful thing in all of society the thing that they're supposed to abandon at the end of it it's like well no you know, like that doesn't make that doesn't make any possible sense. Like, yeah, I, I defend Marx and Engels as people because they're the forefathers of anarchy. Like they were throwing these ideas around and people it's one of these, you know, as time goes by, people got literal and they were responding to the problems of their time and then new problems arose and stuff. Was, I don't like condemning them as individuals. They they were real humanists trying to solve problems and they were also just giving out theories. You know, they weren't saying, Oh, if this theory told to the theory even if you need to put people in gulags yeah. <laughs> Are there people that propose coins that redistribute redistribute from the mm-hmm. highest addresses Demurrage. to the lower addresses? Yeah. yeah, like systematically. Yeah, yeah. Demurrage, uh, Frycoin, I believe, did that. Um, I, I would think it's just, uh, to me that seems like any coin that is that has inflation. You're that's taking true. from the wealthy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And yeah. and redistribute. Right. So, so like, yeah, but that's proportional. I was thinking about like your, your 90% example for um, the millionaires. Right. Yeah. 
Well, that would be hard. I don't know if that's... You said there are a few. Um, yeah. Like, you'd have to... I'm pretty sure Frycoin You'd have it. to have an identity, because how do you know how much someone has? Because someone could break it up into many addresses, depending on the yeah, implementation. Yeah. That, and that, I imagine people's identity to their blockchain address, I just think is a problem we're very far away from solving. Yeah. I don't well, I mean, that just that. re-centralizes the whole thing because you have to have somebody in essentially meet space or whatever yeah. do the, okay, this is one individual, not multiple. Uh, but I, now that you mention it, it, it reminded me that I think the way Frycoin actually worked is there was in, like inflation, but the, the purpose of it, if I've got the name right, um, but the purpose of it was to deduct from everybody's account, and that was what went to pay the miners. Like, so if miners, you didn't, oh, wow. if your if your coins sat stagnant, oh. they would get pulled from. But that was just to promote spending. That was to promote okay. spending, and there was a high inflation rate, which essentially, effectively, does the same thing. But as oh, far okay. as like, a, yeah. I, diminishing the value. Yeah. I was just, so I don't know. I, I'm not like defending the big government or anything, but I, I was just imagining it could be possible for part of the consensus mechanism of the node rules to enforce some kind of taxation, not with identity, but some, some kind of redistribution from addresses with a ton of Bitcoin to addresses to small amounts of Bitcoin. And if enough people believed in this, methodology then this coin would have the most nodes and it could become the most decentralized coin so it's not like i don't know it, it's i guess i'm saying i don't see that happening but it's not impossible but that this kind of redistribution of wealth thing could become a popular coin yes i'm not Te saying i'm not saying i'm for it people would game it and that's that's the reason it would never happen because it'd be gamed right yeah well yeah. first it would be gamed but i think really the the big problem there is that um it's to suggest that it's kind of at odds with the basic human incentive it's saying that like okay well will it will be popular for people to not be self-interested that they will seek to not store their wealth safely that they will seek to be worried about their future and how their family is going to go because maybe I won't have my wealth when that's just not the case. Like we all do exactly the opposite. And maybe politically when we're out talking and, you know, bitching with each other, it's like, okay, well, yeah, you, we should help the poor and stuff. But when they go home, they're penny pinching. You know, when they go home, they, they care about whether or not they have, they have dinner. And if they make their credit card payments and they are not worried that they make 20 times as much as the homeless person that they don't donate to every time they drive by, you know, like, I think it's just at odds with the fact that we are self-interested beings because we wouldn't survive otherwise. Um, we certainly wouldn't have made it this far. Um, and it's just at odds with human nature. A thought experiment on a coin. So government today can get some, you know, can funds its operations through taxation, through debt, and through inflation, printing. What, what if it, it just went through inflation? So what if there was a coin that inflated, let's say, 5% per year, which means the subsidy actually grows each year um, because the supply is growing. Mm -hmm. So 5%, and that goes right to the government, because I believe in big government for the sake of this. Um, so 5% goes to fund the operations of the government, and that's how they get their money. The government doesn't need to tax. We don't need to do, like, tax 
returns and things like that. There's no weird tax law. It's just 5% of the economy goes to the government. That's what I've always hoped would happen. But I've been learning about this subject called saliability. <laughs> and at some point, this entire country will collapse and be absorbed by another country because their currency is going to be slowly devalued. And someone else just has to make the decisions that make their currency go up in value over time to where it's, oh, it just sucks the value out of the, the country. Uh, go with go the up worst in currency time, meaning from, lower inflation? What uh, do you mean go up in... If it... If it's if it held its value better over time, if it was better to hold from your uh, inflation currency to just currency B, currency B, as long as its value is not if they're not inflating the supply of it, will slowly have this huge economic advantage over the other one through trade. I would say the only uh, the only caveat there that I think that like the the model that he's talking about might actually have some sort of i don't know i guess potential um uh, especially like with all these currency crises i think that will be attempted like, i agree like, so i don't a coin think that does this already do what there's, there's there's a coin that does this already there is absolutely oh oh god i'm i'm, I'm ashamed to admit this <laughs> Wait, one that does it for the government, or are you just no, meaning no, no, a coin no. that has a, a coin that has a consistent a fixed inflation. inflation rate? Yes. Yeah, Doge has that. Grin. grin. Oh, Grin. Grin, grin has that. No, yeah, grin. no, no. Yeah. It doesn't. It, grin has a, it has a decaying inflation. No, it's not decaying. It's a fixed it's amount. A fixed. Amount. So it's a right. decaying so the percentage, percentage goes down. Yes. Yeah. So, so assuming that you are, let's just take your example for a second. That uh, every year there's another five percent. Um, of the total coin supply created, um, you you start with a really small, a really high stock to flow ratio, right? You have a five percent increase. If you extrapolate that over fifty years, the additional supply of the coins to the overall cap of coins will be significantly smaller. Uh, and as a result, every time you add an additional five percent, it will affect the overall stock to flow lower and lower and lower the money so supply will double every 15 years yeah you you the, the five sorry, percent it's a yeah, yeah sorry five percent goes down five percent of of so if it's at 105 uh, so if it's at 100 uh coins this year it's 105 next year is it five percent of the hundred or is it five percent of 105 yeah i i'm i'm proposing the big government 5%. coin that is 5% of total supply. The stock to flow gotcha. remains constant. Gotcha. Yeah. So if it was just 5% every year of the initial market cap, I believe there would be a decrease in stock to flow. Which is many coins. I think yeah. Ethereum okay. even does that. Gotcha. Never mind. Yeah. I'll take it all back. I'm going to delete this before this ever goes to the <laughs> I'm in charge of this. I'm not deleting it. So, so the, cur the key is that the currency is not just being devalued in a bubble. It's being devalued 5% a year by the printing. But the fact that the other currency is not losing value will cause the citizens in the inflationary currency to hold coins from currency B. And this will cause the coins, the currency coin, uh, inflation coins to become less and less in a death spiral. Yeah, the, um, the, yeah. I think you'd see a, just a real life example of Gresham's Law is that like everybody would be spending the 5% inflation coin like crazy and if Bitcoin exists in this world, it's screwed. Um, and I think the only caveat there is that they could have legal tender 
and because this crap coin uh, was. Uh, why are you pointing at me when you say crap coin? Because of this, because of this crap coin over here, uh, that uh, um, everybody would only use it to, you know, essentially pay taxes and to settle debts, which they'd be gloriously happy about because they're settling debts in, you know, a currency that's dying essentially always. Um, but that would be that would be the only thing. But the government's purchasing purchasing power that five percent would be terrible consistently yeah so there's no such thing as a free lunch so the free the free lunch here eventually crashes the currency value so that's not sustainable at all i think you can get, if you want to do a free lunch type policy you would have to do like tariffs so that the cost of goods inside the country will go up but all your money is collected through heavy tariffs or excise taxes that would be the closest thing Unless you want to continue with income taxes and stuff. Well, um, I think you could probably get away with it um, as a fixed currency and a uh, built-in transaction fee. Okay. That always ended up being 5% of like everything transacted or something. Okay, that would know? work too, yeah. Yeah. That goes to, to where? So, Straight to the, the government is the only one running a node. But, I mean, eventually you would have inflation because so, the government can't resist. So, yeah, every transaction but, you make, 0.1% goes to the government. So you never really feel it. And then the people that are doing these high-frequency trading and stuff will be discouraged from doing it. But if they do do it, it'll cause a lot of taxes. Uh, I, on my drive here, I was listening to an interview with Safedina. And just, I, I know this, we, we know this so well with Bitcoin, but it, it hit me again, like, Wow, like what Satoshi built? He went with 0% inflation. It's on top of everything that's amazing about Bitcoin. Like he, he nailed everything. Like I don't think there's anything that we don't think is basically perfect. How did he do that? Yeah, I definitely think that's amazing. Uh, well, I think one of the coolest things about the 0% inflation thing or like near zero is that we can put an end to the discussion about it's not a thought experiment anymore. About it's a live experiment. Yeah, it's like, like what would a deflationary currency look like? I don't like that word deflationary, but what would a non-inflationary currency look like? It's, yeah, you know, it's not a thought experiment anymore. It's well, a real people, one. It's funny, like like people will still like ask me. It's like, but how would we survive? You know, how would you be productive or whatever? Like, how would you get anything done in an currency in an economy where the currency is always uh, increasing in value? Everybody would just hold the currency and do nothing. And it's like, well, does Bitcoin have an infrastructure problem? Like, no. Like, like VC investment, like the amount of people dumping money in Bitcoin is extraordinary. You could not have a better example of an insanely deflationary currency in which people do everything they can to build the next tools and be the next exchange and, like, build the next piece of infrastructure that's going to make them just a little bit of fees today that on the next hype cycle is going to be worth mountains of money. Um so like but they're also using dirty fiat to invest in those projects well they they're investing exchanges. bitcoin people people are investing lots of bitcoin gains that's where a lot of uh the ability to actually invest capital came from that'd be super interesting to like take the the top bitcoin companies like coinbase or gemini or exchanges or whatever and see how much of their investment came from Bitcoin funds versus fiat funds. 
Are, are Do you, you understand getting, what I'm are asking? Are you getting to yeah, the topic yeah, yeah. of... Like with VCs and stuff? Like, I'm not getting to any topic, but but yeah, just... Yeah, how much is it VCs that are just like spending fiat money because they don't have anything to invest in, right? Like that's the problem with billionaires mm-hmm. in the world today is like they don't see anything to invest in. No yield. Yeah. And they're happy to invest in the Bitcoin yeah. project versus how many, how much of the startup fund came from Bitcoin itself. Yeah, that'd be curious. I'd be, yeah. I'd be interested to see that too. Yeah. One of the flaws of this big government argument is number one, we already have big government and number two, we're not paying for it currently. <laughs> <laughs> so we're imagining a taxation rate where we actually pay our bills on time instead of just pushing them off into the future, which is already a huge problem. And I think one of the big things that Bitcoin is going to do is perhaps eliminate debt as a major economic factor. But, and I was thinking about this over the week. Um, is the purpose of debt should be to, um, to create capital goods. So you go into debt to invest in a factory, to make the factory more productive, to pay for the debt. Instead, debt has become a consumer good funding device. So I can't afford an iPhone now. I'm going to, but I'll pay for, but I want it now. So I'll get the loan to pay it now. And for no apparent reason, I think I will make more money in the future. I haven't invested in my <laughs> skills, but I will be older in the future. So I'll be making more money. <laughs> Humans became the capital good. Yeah. Or, or you may today have the, um, cash flow to, or, you know, you may have the income that supports alone. Mm, I, I, I don't, we're not getting rid of debt with Bitcoin. Well, here's Does why you would get rid of, I think you, no, well, here's I think why we'll I think see. you will, because how could you pay back a 0.1 Bitcoin loan? How are you going to give me 0.12 Bitcoin in the future? Cause when I, the price cause of Bitcoin is going up. That pays in Bitcoin. Yeah. I what I'm saying, if Bitcoin. I give you a loan in Bitcoin, you yeah. cannot accept a loan in Bitcoin because the value will go up. Too what if my job if gets pay. paid in Bitcoin? That would be, that would work. You know, if we have it, a if you had customers paying in Bitcoin, yeah. it'd work even better. But you're not gonna have customers paying in Bitcoin, are you? Is that that's your point, right? Is that you're not gonna have customers paying in Bitcoin for the service that you build on your point one Bitcoin load? Um, yeah, I guess if everyone switches over, we need to, Bitcoin to be a unit. It of needs account. to be ubiquitous for you to be able yeah. to start doing loans because all fiat would be spiraling out of control. You couldn't be paid in fiat and expect to pay back a loan in Bitcoin. Agree. If people are giving out loans in Bitcoin, are they going to have to have um, their own military service? They're going to have to send around their boys to, to go collect that's, uh, that's part of why money. I think debt could go away. Like It's too hard to pay back. It's too hard to collect. And it's you, you own gold. Like I don't even know if you had gold. Would you loan it to somebody today? Like That's... I don't know, it seems so risky to give away something that tangible and valuable. Interest rates will be a lot higher. Actually, I really like that. When people talk about, oh, you know, loans based on Bitcoin, a simple answer to that is just to imagine loans with physical gold, yeah. like physically lending gold to someone and just wondering what the hell they're going to do with yeah, that loan. Answer. Yeah, it's like here. So, you, so I, I do have a, a, a wrinkle to throw in that. That's okay. a fairly common occurrence. Is it? Loaning gold. Absolutely. Yeah. But only certain kinds of people do it, though. Uh, people that tend to take gold and sell it for cash and hope and bet against the market. Really? But it's 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 a, a really niche market. And for people that are, are massive gold bugs, I mean, I'm not trying to throw a wrinkle and I get what exactly what you're saying. I think it makes sense. But there is an entire industry built around people 
borrowing gold and hoping the price goes down. But it's more of a barter transaction than a monetary sure. transaction. Yeah, absolutely. At that point. I, I think that's that's an assessment, but I, I I do think that that does exist at some form, and I think that, it that may also exist for Bitcoin, but it probably isn't going to be, you know, what we're expecting it to be. Yeah, I just think that it will be, like, a tiny, tiny fraction of what we're used to. Sure. Um, like, I think the idea of 0% APR, 0% financing for 12 months, I think that is all 100% a consequence of cheap, easy debt. I don't think there's anything natural about it. My grandmother never knew. It was never part of her world. You know, like, it just, it's a consequence of this constant, like, destruction of money. I mean, think about it this way. Let's say you were going to get your mortgage in Bitcoin, and you're buying about a 20 Bitcoin house. So over the next 30 years, just get me 40 Bitcoin. Do you feel good about that? Do you feel no. good that you're going to deliver on that loan? No. Not at all. That'd the, be terrible. The 40 Bitcoin is because mortgages basically are double whatever you pay once you include the interest. No, but I think that's a great example where we could see lending. And, you know, um, because it's something that you could seize, right? The lender can seize your house. Okay. So... I could get a loan based on that. And maybe you have an income. Maybe you, you have an income denominated in Bitcoin, whatever it is. Let's say it's 10 Bitcoin per year, and the, you buy a 50 Bitcoin house. I'd like to use much smaller. You, you get paid like one Bitcoin per year, and you're buying a, Bitcoin, a house that's three Bitcoin. Yeah, you could pay it back. And if you don't, I get your house. And, and probably the, what's that called? The loan to value uh, ratio will be a lot lower meaning uh, you know it'll be you have to put down 50 percent or something. i was about to say that's because i mean you saw that in the 40s and 50s and stuff like you could you could not get a loan without putting 20 percent down on a house like you just couldn't but people actually had savings the the entire market was 100 percent different than what we were used to there's now. an entire industry built around that through a product called pmi purchase mortgage insurance that, that only exists to assist with people that don't put down 20%. Yeah. And that, that may exist in a Bitcoin world where um, you may not have enough or you, want, you don't want to take the risk that maybe you just need to buy a better, different, different kind of vehicle of insurance. I think it, yeah, I guess that's in a nutshell. Could you explain purchase mortgage insurance, what, what it is? So you're, you're getting it, you're so, not putting the deposit, someone else is putting it down for you? So the bank is really, really concerned that you are going to pay back your mortgage and to ensure that there is enough equity in the house so that if they come and seize the house from you or uh, foreclose on it, that there is always enough equity with the market fluctuating that if you don't put down 20%, they require oh, okay. you to carry insurance on it. And the um, there's a percentage um, that the PMI costs uh, according to how much you borrowed or what your, your, your mortgage rates are. But if you put down 18%, you pay PMI until your home is at least 25%, has 25% of the equity in it. Um, but if you put down at least 20%, you don't have to pay PMI. Now, there are banks that have made a, a culture out of uh, credit unions. For example, they offer less favorable interest rates, but you don't have to put down the 20%. So you can put down 0% or 5% or maybe 10%. So this PMI bubble sounds like a disaster. When you, or it's not, If you combine it with the housing bubble, you've essentially insured the houses that are most likely to be defaulted on yeah. at I'm, the peak of prices. I'm paying <laughs> I'm paying PMI because I wanted to spend as little Bitcoin as possible on on my house and we put like $4,000 down. Yeah. PMI is like great something for like nothing. Buyers. Yeah. 
Like, and, and I, it, pay, it cost me like a hundred dollars and some change a month, like in quote and a, a quote unquote insurance payment. Can you explain what you mean by that? Cause I'm not following your logic. Why PMI is great for buyers. Yes. Yes. Well, I didn't have to put anything down. <laughs> I, I, I would. Yeah, that, that's precisely it. I would say PMI is, it's, I mean, it's not technically, but it's effectively just a higher interest rate, right? It's mm -hmm. you're more of a risk. So it's a higher interest rate. Um, I, I, I think interest rates are so low that people should be going into debt and buying house. My mom just bought a house. She paid for it. I think she should take out a massive loan, right? It, mm -hmm. it, as if this Bitcoin, if we get to hyper Bitcoinization, you want to be long debt. You don't want to, you want to be short bonds and long debt. Yeah. Yeah. That's incongruent with everything that I want to treat, how I want to treat money. But I mean, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be a you want to be very like very irresponsible, right? So yeah. you you come You're from rewarded. a background of being responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Having a seizure hearing you say that. <laughs> when you compare any of this stuff to investing in Bitcoin, then yeah, it's it's like most people don't have the mindset of right. comparing investing in Bitcoin, and they're thinking like, oh, I'll just like pay for the house, and then the the value of the house will go up or like the value of the stock will go up, but we're comparing everything to like some hyper Bitcoinization thing. That's going to like the house is the, is the hardest asset they know of. Like yeah. they, they don't know about Bitcoin. that is their yes. investment. The house is yeah. their investment. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And but, we're like, get the, get the debt because you yeah. can hold the Bitcoin. It'd be crazy to like cash out your Bitcoin to buy a house right now. Like I've thought about that before. Yeah. And then I'm just like, what am I thinking? No. Like, yeah. And to be clear, I think it's good for consumers who invest in Bitcoin, not in buying an iPhone every year. Right? Or so I, I want to give a shout out to JC, who's not here. Um, he and I had an argument maybe six months ago about a cell phone company that was offering 0% financing on getting a cell phone. Now, it's been a long time since I've financed a phone. I don't think I've ever financed a phone. Um, but I didn't believe him that there was a company offering 0% financing. And I, I swore to him that I'd buy him a steak dinner if he could prove it. And sure enough, I have not delivered that steak dinner. Wow. <laughs> Don't argue with wow. JC on something like that, man. JC. He's gained the system. I hope he never uses this. I shouldn't admit this, but I bought a really expensive TV and I got the free financing for two years. I've always and, wanted to do that. And <laughs> in the meantime, Bitcoin's gone up by a factor of three. So definitely made the right call on that. Yeah. I have a, can I go back for a second though on the taking out the loan and Bitcoin example that you brought up? Like if a bank gave a loan on a house and this loan was denominated in Bitcoin somehow, do you remember us talking about this just a little bit ago? Yeah. No. Okay. Um, so what's weird about this situation is that the bank would actually have to pay the previous owner of the house in Bitcoin, like, or would have to pay the construction company in Bitcoin. Like the, the bank can't just give a loan, just like print money to give the loan for the house. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they would. So right now it seems to me that if, uh, you know, if the bank can sort of like finance, Okay, I might be completely wrong here, but it seems to me like the way people get loans for houses right now is a lot of that money that didn't exist before. Is that right? Like with like fractional reserve lending or like maybe I'm seeing this wrong, but 
that the loan no, for the right. house would be a lot more difficult for the bank to make because the bank would actually have to hand over Bitcoin to the previous owner. It or, would be somebody else's savings that was trying to get an interest yeah. on that savings, and then they would be loaning that out. It would be a full reserve system, yeah. and they wouldn't be able to spend it unless it was full reserve. Similarly, right. the demand is going to far outstrip the supply of loan, so the interest rates are going to be really high. Really high. Really high. So... I mean, what, let's think about right now. What would it take you, what kind of interest rate, if you were to give somebody a Bitcoin loan right now, what kind of interest rate would it take for you to do it? As it, it, as it would be, it'd be enormous. It'd be huge. Because I, I expect Bitcoin. This was a theme on Twitter to, yeah. very recently. Dan Held announced that he was loaning Bitcoin using a service, I forget, at 6%. DeFi. DeFi. Wow. And everyone was like, or you're Blockfi? crazy. Blockfi. That's what it I is. thought he, he disclosed it in an ethical, clean way, saying this is very risky. He doesn't recommend it. Um, but six percent it's six percent six percent yeah it seems like i would want to charge a lot more than that well I, no what is the what is the everyone what is the real what, the same way. what's the real number for you if you were to like give a real number well, let's the, just say to the loan to the people in this room you don't know which one of us it is but one of us you're going to loan to the people in the room so just an average can I like go around with a club and like knock on people's doors and like get real ugly and collateral? collateral is because I kind of want to do that. <laughs> like, I know you're in there, did guy. Did we switch topics or did we, are we still talking about a loan? Or you just want to walk around with a club? <laughs> want to have a reason? Like, give me my money back. So I looked into this uh, business of loaning Bitcoin, and from the sites that I, I found there's a limit on how much um, money you can loan and maybe it's like ten thousand dollars equivalent in Bitcoin um, you can't just say you know here's a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and I want to earn six percent um, which is unfortunate because uh, I actually not saying I have a million, million dollars of Bitcoin <laughs> but I am saying that I would love to be able to earn interest on Bitcoin even if it's two percent because the Bitcoin's just sitting there uh, but, but you understand there's a chance of total loss. Yeah. This is, yeah, so ideally your it, would, it would be asset backed. Uh, you know, I mean, the, practic the practicality of this is not, is not there right now. But for example, if I could loan Bitcoin to someone uh, to, as a mortgage so I can seize their house and I can earn a few percent, that's really great. Uh, I don't think it would work right now because the value of Bitcoin will probably go up too fast. So I, I think the reason they're limiting it at such low values is this uncollateralized loans at 6%. If you were doing what you were suggesting, lo loaning large amounts of that million dollars of Bitcoin you got on that treasure in, uh, in your pocket, that could be a bit of a different situation. You'd want to collateralize the hell out of that. And you'd have to collateralize it at, at an amount much larger than what you've loaned to accommodate for the increase. I think that's the only way you could do Right, it. absolutely. It seems to me like the people that are paying interest on Bitcoin loans, it's just kind of a toy system because it's not practical on a large scale as far as I know. No, but I think it's a good thought experiment. If you, know, if you were going to lend Bitcoin for a house, so it's fully, it's collateralized, but, but that's, that's a, you know, is it fully collateralized? What loan to value really, ratio are you willing to accept? Do you think real estate is overvalued? You have to think about all those risks. You would have to look at the term of the loan um, and, a, and, a, and that would be the biggest factor because you're going to have to take into consideration halvenings. You're going to have to take into consideration what you're expecting Bitcoin to do. And there is going to be a lot of inherent bias you're going to bring in. We're all sitting here assuming that Bitcoin's going up, right? I mean, we all, we all believe that Bitcoin's going up. None of us has a crystal ball to know this for some certain. And I know that is such a pessimistic thing to say. And we all believe 
that our understanding of economics is correct and that it will increase. So you would have to be willing to take that kind of risk and for that term of years with that interest rate, calculating the correct amount of, of collateral I to be backed by that loan. Decreasing is not important. It just makes it more likely that the person will pay back the loan. If the, if the price decreases, you're just going to get your loan back perhaps faster than you were expecting, but you still got... One, you started with one Bitcoin, you got 1.1 Bitcoin or whatever the interest was. Yeah, I understand the, the price of Bitcoin doesn't feel related or, or impacting the calculations. Future, future change in price. Well, if you, if you lose your Bitcoin, sure. If you, I mean, I, I guess I get what you're saying, but you know, for, for me, if I'm going to collateralize um, a loan, I want to be concerned about what I'm collateralizing and what I'd be getting. Oh, I see. If there because, is a default. Okay. I, I, see, when we have these like theoretical discussions, I'm thinking of the world, the hyper-Bitcoinized world. But if we're talking about housing prices still denominating dollars, then yeah, then you have yeah, all sorts yeah. of weird risks. And, and so this is something that, that Wade and I were talking about previously. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, are you pro-Bitcoin? Are you pro-big government, right? Those we only described what pro-big government meant. No one has described or defined what pro-Bitcoin looks point. like. And so at no point in this conversation have we discussed that my, my view of what Bitcoin is going to do may be incredibly different from what yours is. That's no, that's <laughs> <laughs> no, I can see, I mean, there are a lot of people, in fact, still that I talk to that don't, that I don't think see even close to what the actual potential is. That they think this is like some really fun internet money that will just kind of be like this app that you download to put some money in every once in a while to buy some shit online. And I'm like, I'm like, it, it's, it's essentially some sort of like fun, convenient, I own it gift card. I mean, yeah, if you think it, that's what the precedent has been. Things like Postmates, things like Instagram, they're just minor variations of these kind of frivolous consumer products. Yeah. yeah. And I always, I try to stress so hard, like I'm, when I'm trying to explain to people, like, no, I, don't, I think this is an entirely new layer of the internet and it will be as ubiquitous as you can't download an app that's not using the internet. Like they all use the internet. That's the only reason they're apps. And, and I think new finance, like the next stage of finance will be that. It will all use Bitcoin because that will be what finance is. It's the only way to keep things safe. And it's the only way to build the next layer of an actual digital economy. I want to believe that so bad, man. I do. I, I, I do. I, 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 I do. want to believe. I'm not just quoting X-Files by saying yeah. that. Like, I need to believe that that's the case. I just, I think I'm a little more of a realist. I think there's too much stopping uh, what we're and, and I don't want to make this about me. I think Guy I is more of a realist than you. I agree. I agree with that statement actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's a conversation. Don't want to get your hopes up. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Be pleasantly surprised. Be reserved. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's almost too much for people to handle. It, it's it's almost yeah. it's almost too real. It's it's surreal. It's it's like their brain can't go into that space and still live normally. I, it, I recently yeah. realized I was investing wrong because I couldn't accept how bullish I am on Bitcoin. That I was like, oh, I really do, I really do think it's going to like between one and ten million. So unless I'm a hundred percent sure this other thing is getting a hundred x, you should only be putting all your money in yeah. Bitcoin. Like that's my real belief, and I should stop like denying it. You know. Yeah. If so, like you're reading the Bitcoin standard right yeah. now, like yeah. So 
there's a chapter in the Bitcoin Standard where it talks about the African glass beads and how the Europeans with the different form of money were just able to annihilate this old form of money. And when you read that, it's like, wow. I mean, one money can completely annihilate another form of money. But imagine being an old person that just lived with this glass bead economy and someone's telling you that this new money is going to make this old money obsolete. Yeah, I mean, glass beads aren't going to be worth anything. It's like, uh, it's, it's like this the, is our whole the, culture and our yeah, whole civilization. Exactly. They're, they're just not going to be able to comprehend any of that. I guess one pushback on that is how strong the government with its military might is going to enforce using the U.S. dollar. So that that's my struggle is that like I see it totally possible that Bitcoin is just going to take over everything. But then I come back on that with how hard it's going to be for the U.S. government to give up its power. So it's like that's where, yeah. where are you guys on that? I, I think about how, how hard it will be for the U.S. government to hold onto its power. I, I, I feel exactly that same way. Um, I think they will mentally and emotionally be unwilling to let go of their power. But as the ball is rolling, every dollar that Bitcoin gains in purchasing power, they will be losing in purchasing power. And that is all of their power, is the power over the money. If they can't run, they will run into so violence. many problems. And the yeah, guns. The violence and the guns are paid for with free college, yeah. with with good veteran care and retirement and well veteran care bad, is garbage veteran care but um but it is paid it is it, it all exists because they can pay their soldiers that's it there none of those people work for free eventually they're gonna their soldiers are gonna want to get paid in bitcoin they will run into so many other problems because of the purchasing power that bitcoin takes from them that they will have their hands full with thousands of angry institutions, agencies, people, demographics, while they are trying to fight Bitcoin, and they will be losing the fight against Bitcoin while they are losing every other fight at the same time. Can I can I take this bead economy thing and maybe flip it on its inverse on its please, head for a second? Imagine if the British Empire during the 18th century was running on a bead economy, and some West African country rolled up there and said, mm. "Hey, y'all." I can make a bunch of beads a whole lot faster than you. We've got a bunch of folks, a bunch of small hands. We can make a bunch of beads. We're going we're gonna to bring it over. I don't think that they would destroy the British economy as a result. I think that, I don't know. I, I, I think that your point earlier, which, which was what I was planning on bringing up if you, if you didn't, is that part of the reason why the British were able to absolutely destroy those economies in West Africa, the, the bead-based economies, is that they were able to mass produce them by machines and they have the government to back it up because if you... Stop! If you wanted to back out of this bead deal, well, I got a bunch of big old guns, and I got the biggest navy in the world, and I'm gonna push your shit in if you don't if you don't do this right. And I think that that makes sense when you look at it from from a military might perspective. But if you turn it on its head and you look at it, a smaller country with a much smaller military, nothing by comparison, coming to England with a bead-based you know, alternative, produced much faster, cheaper. I, I think it would be a longer road to hoe. I, I think that's the point that I want to make. I, I think that they could put a dent in it, but it would be a much tougher challenge. And I think that's much more analogous to Bitcoin and fiat. I think it's a better analogy in, in terms of like size of what we're dealing with. And I think in your analogy, you're perfectly right in what the outcome would be. But I think the better analogy is not that a small 
African country has found a way to make the agri-beads and is trying to compete. It's that the technology to make agri-beads can be done in anyone's garage anywhere in the world. And there's nothing the British Empire can do to stop it. Then agri-beads are done. So why aren't you printing U.S. dollars right now on your, your Lexmark color that's, printing? That's not what I'm doing. Because Bitcoin doesn't... Bitcoin is a competition to... Okay, well, I guess it would be the ability to secure a hard money in place of agri-beads. But I was meaning in the, in the sense that it's the distribution of the technology. There's no single small little nation to attack. There is a broad, decentralized, no specific jurisdiction, no specific set of people. There's no, there's no target. It's, it's the BitTorrent of, the, of currencies. It's, it, there's nothing direct to go after. The, the other, so the other thing we have to keep in mind is in a, from the reality of the world we're living in, the U.S. dollar is the world reserve currency. It's only really going to, its collapse will most affect the U.S. The Europe, Euro's collapse will most affect Europe. And China is going to be pretty immune to whatever shenanigans we've been doing in the Western world. We've been, twitched our economy to these finance-based economies. And when the debt collapses, they're not going to let us run finance anymore. Right now, China lets us run finance because we're more responsible than they are. So when they do their own version of the NASDAQ, it's like a public relations disaster because the prices are so dumb and they go up 100% in one day and then collapse the next day. And they just can't do a financial system. But when our mismanagement of the financial system collapses it, they know China no longer has a use for us and they are the manufacturing economy, which is real economic wealth. You know, the fact that we made Postmates isn't going to mean shit when we can't grow cows or not cows, but whatever goods we're importing from China, we're not going to be able to get anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at uh, industry growth charts from the U.S. government for the next 10 and 20 years, and it is 99% service related. That that production manufacturing is just completely out of the window. Um, they're expecting um, ambulatory healthcare systems to grow by 400% or some such ridiculous number. And that's basically a service of going into people's homes, homes to offer healthcare. So, it's a China, service. so China's not going to export goods to us because we're caring for our elderly. Yep. <laughs> we're going to have nothing to trade. Yeah, our transition will be way worse than theirs, but they'll have a terrible one because they're holding all their debt in dollars. So they'll lose. I think they can have a fast reset. They can get. The, they'll have a much faster reset because they have capital goods. Will just start doing whatever they start. They're told to do immediately. Yeah. Per, you know, it, they can snap into you know recovery. There are. It's. It, it's. Probably. I'd say our saving grace is that we have the highest Bitcoin activity and in investors somehow in the U.S. And, yeah. and we have the Raleigh Bitcoin meetup. And we have the Raleigh Bitcoin meetup. Jared, I was trying to understand your. Your, your question in the beads and Europe uh, and England, I think what you were saying, I want to paraphrase, see if I understood. You're saying you, you not, you're not convinced that if that situation happened in reverse, that it would have followed the same path where the people who could make the, um, the, 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 the other, the foreign local money, the foreign local money more easily um, wouldn't dominate. Well, I th I'm certainly not suggesting that they wouldn't have an impact. What I'm suggesting is that if they did have an impact, it would take a tremendous amount of time. I think that being backed by a military force is what caused uh, a major shift in the economy. So it's not just that that England was coming to these small African countries with with beads that were mass produced. 
I, I think part of it is that they were coming in and they had they had so many people coming in. They had their military backing to come in. Um, the British never just came in as merchants. If you look at any part of their colonization strategy anywhere in the world, the British came with their navies first. If you didn't like what they were doing, well, come at me, bro. But I, the, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that if you're looking at this as, a, as an analogy for Bitcoin, mm. where we are trying to impact fiat and we have a much smaller market cap and we're trying to start this ground roots movement, it's going to take a tremendous amount of time and energy but it's going to have some impact at some level. But it may not, I don't. I just don't want to have that guy swan. I, I want to have the guy swan mm-hmm. faith that it's going to make the splash. But but I think that I'm I'm a bit of a realist. Maybe like the wrong. Maybe I'm a pessimist. Um, and I just don't think it's going to. It's going to take a lot of time and energy to have the kind of splash that we're talking about having. And I'm I'm not opposed to taking a lot of time. But I think it's going to take maybe outside of our, our lifetimes. Could, could you be misunderestimating, mis- un, Under. underestimating the... Um, Often and regularly. <laughs> mis, misestimating by being under? <laughs> no, spe- specifically the power of decentralization. I mean, I, and this is that book, um, The Sovereign Individual. Sovereign Individual, yeah. Um, which is basically the, is, is, is Hong, the Hong Kong protests. Like, they haven't lost yet. So, so the governments reason- are so weak right now. Throw them all over right now, everywhere. <laughs> now is the time, and you're on the list. But they're getting weaker. So, but they're but not getting stronger. But, but the the government is getting weaker. But the people that run the government are 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 buying Bitcoin. I think it is a mistake to assume that Bitcoiners are all part of of who we are in this room. There are massive. That undermines that your position. You, that, that strengthens guys. Yeah, I think position. that's the opposite. So, so the fact that someone buys a ton of Bitcoin and they are in a, they are incredibly wealthy. I think there's only so much Bitcoin to go around. I mean, I get what you're saying, and I and I agree to a certain extent. But are those few people that are that into it? I get. I guess this comes down to a, a point of market saturation. How many people have to be into Bitcoin and understand what it is and understand why it's a sounder money for Bitcoin to make the kind of impact that happened with those those economies with the glass beads? And I think that it's going to as big as the dollar is, as integrated as the dollar is to so many societies and so many cultures and so many industries that that deal with industries that are backed by just lending money, interest uh, in, industries that are backed by insuring money industries that just deal with money generally or specifically um that that it's going to take a ton more time than what we're anticipating for bitcoin to penetrate as hard as we needed to and i think the saturation rate is a little bit higher than what we're contemplating this conversation not to be negative nancy or danny downer that's just my personal belief i'm gonna i'm gonna cut guy off and say say what guy is gonna say <laughs> I, I do that sometimes I, it's, I, it's gonna be faster than we're supposed yeah. to be. I, no i i hope i hope that it is i genuinely hope that it is but you we can't even get the simplest rules passed in our local government to get any kind of idea of what what cryptocurrencies are and how to regulate them we're dealing with the stupidest, simplest issues about whether a lawyer could even help you close on a house by buying Bitcoin. The answer, as of October of this year, will be no. You can't buy a house with Bitcoin because there isn't a closing attorney that can touch that money. You know, on this thread today, we talked about how we get more people. At, or I, I, I didn't was, pay attention to the thread. It, it doesn't matter. Myself. It doesn't matter. But like, uh, I was saying, like, how do how do we get more people to meetups or whatever? And and it's like the, the most obvious answer that I didn't think Why? of that Steve said. 
No. <laughs> <laughs> number go up. Number go up. Yep. Number go up. Um, but I think I think we're looking at a economy though. You're talking about like all these like monetary industries and debt industries and like the finances that depend specifically on those sorts of industries. As soon as as soon as the cracks start to show, they will be forced to make a major shift quickly. Um, they like is when when we have another credit crisis and the, we start that cascade down the ladder again of just crap folding into crap folding into crap. Like they are going to have to make huge adjustments, and we're already in the process. Like like look at all the major companies now; they're all like nine years old. Like we we've we've been in the process. We've been in a thirty year process of insanely fast turnarounds in whole industries. I mean, we're talking about 20 years ago, industries that didn't exist that are now the biggest ones. And I don't, I think, I think we're discounting, I think we're looking back and forgetting how quickly we got here. We're speeding up too. And that we're speeding up, yeah. Like so it's, a, it's a feedback maybe, loop on maybe, itself. Maybe right? the simpler way to, because I, I definitely don't want to dominate the conversation with my opinion. Of no, I love this. This is, this, I, is I this is the most favorite thing of any Bitcoiner to talk about, is, is <laughs> get someone to be more of a Bitcoiner. Because I'm coming off as some kind of no-coiner shitbag, <laughs> and I don't think I am. Um, I, <laughs> I do want Bitcoin to succeed. I hold Bitcoin. I love Bitcoin. I, I come to this meetup religiously because I am a Bitcoin believer. Um, Round of applause, guys. Yeah, thank you. Okay, I'm <laughs> away from the just not into the, the microphone. microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, if you're listening, that was for you. Uh, <laughs> shout out, Terry. Um, but I, I, I have no doubt that it's going to change very many aspects and maybe everything eventually. But my point is that I think this is a much longer fight than what we're anticipating because there are ingrained industries that will never change. And to assume that the law is going to keep up with what's happening is a mistake. There's nothing fast in the oh, law. I don't assume that. Yeah. Well, I think I think the law. I think it's doomed largely because it won't catch up. Um, I, I think that's one of the major factors in why it, it will have to adjust so quickly is because it refuses to do so. Um, and you know the news. Yeah. The newspaper didn't adjust either. And when was the last time you got a hold of one of those? Um, I mean, the law is a little different than the newspaper. No, I, I, I know. But just, just as an example is that the people that – the industry that doesn't adjust, there's no uninventing the technology. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't think the, the, the level of totalitarian that we would have to go for it to ever work, like in, in the realm of like stopping people from just buying what they thought was going to be good for their future and stuff. I, I think, I, I think that uh, that it would just be an absolute disaster, and it would be them holding desperately on the last bits of power that they actually have. So I, I would like to propose a bet, okay. um, but a long-term bet. Okay. This is this is <laughs> like moon stakes. Like these, these are Mars. like Mars stakes. What, what is a Mars stake? A Mars stake is a, a cow <laughs> grown on Mars. Eating a Martian, um, oh, wow. a Martian diet of okay. Martian grass. Oh, Super tender, the low gravity. Yeah. Holy Jesus! It's, um, <laughs> it's exactly, it's exactly right. Um, so, let's take a bet on when you think, when we think, that banks will stop rehypothecation for loans for real estate because of Bitcoin. 
What is repatriation? So um, loan, creating money out of nothing based on, so if for every dollar that you have, you just keep reloaning the same money out and every piece of asset you have, you basically keep reloaning that out up to seven times the original dollar. I think Guy could probably answer that a little bit more eloquently than I could. But basically- Oh, banks, that's pretty much it. That's banks get to create money out of thin air. I think it's one to seven. Uh, ratio. I don't think rehypothecation term applies to money. It applies to specifically to assets that are not money. So, but that's what banks do to to money to create the assets. So they're basically loaning out the assets that have been borrowed against, like they're, a stock or a bond. Yeah, and so they do that with real property. So, um, if you want to come up with a better description to describe what banks are doing to money to create money out of nothing, but it's fractional. You talking it, about fractional reserve? So that's exactly what it is. Yeah. 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 Same concept. Exact yeah. same word. What's the difference between fractional reserve and sorry? We'll get back to yeah. the, this bet, this question. But no, I think this is defining what the bet is. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Can you answer what's the difference between fractional reserve and rehypothecation? Okay. Where's I, I Jameer, why, I was about to say Jameer needs to be here yeah. because no, I couldn't actually, tell you specific. Actually, I'm going to take a stab at it, okay. which is rehypothecation. It's specifically for an asset that's like um, identifiable. So a share of Apple stock can have one share could have three owners. Um, oh. It's it's not an owner though. So I own a share of Apple, um, but he holds it for me. Now I actually don't own it. I own a uh, I he has a debt to me of a share of Apple. Okay. So I think it specifically apply doesn't apply to money. It applies to anything but money. But that's exactly what banks are doing okay. with real property, to to create money. That's that's how that's why every bank wants to loan you money to buy a house. That's why they sell the loans is because they are rehypothecating for the. I mean, I, I, can can we, for all intents and purposes, agree okay. that that's what rehypothecation is? Okay. I mean, maybe there's a better word, or maybe Jameer. I think we should just keep you? it simple at fractional reserve sure. banking. Fractional reserve. But what about what's the bet? What's so, the so question? Let's so the so here's the bet. Let's bet on when banks will stop using fractional reserve. Because of Bitcoin. Well, let's tease this out a bit. Sure. Stop using fractional reserve of USD. Yes. It, because of Bitcoin. It would because mean Bi things are being denominated in housing so, is so that's denominated what in so, Bitcoin. So what time frame are you going to put? You're saying it's going to happen a yeah. whole lot sooner. I'm saying 100 years is the absolute minimum I'd be willing to even entertain. See, and, and that's that's yeah, minimum. I think that we're that far off. How are you going to collect on that bet? Like, oh, so so I, I think that um, I think we'll be using currency. Everybody just <laughs> puts it outside. So, so that's not my, my statement for the bets. I think what I'm saying is that that's what I believe it's right. going to be. I don't get me wrong. I think Bitcoin's going to make a ton of waves between now and whenever you know whatever your number is. But I, what do you guys think? I'm going to go with the singularity in 2045. I believe. <laughs> yes. So we won't be using money. Our, our AI bots will trade back and forth. We'll That's a pretty good guess. 2045 is not a bad guess. It's 25 um, years. Why? I would say in the context. The exponential change in every I think the U.S. economy could collapse, but it'll take about 10 years before they finally give up on the dollar after like a catastrophic collapse. How like Venez I think Venezuela, the, what, that type of situation being in the U.S. will do it for about a decade and they give up. How long? 10 years? So maybe we're like 20 years away from the collapse, 10 years before, uh, I don't know. There's like a short, there's a 15 to 20 year period before the collapse, God, then another 10 year where you don't admit the collapse I'm, happened. I'm, I'm gonna shut the fuck up. I think, I think we're 10 years to like 
a situation that's so dire in the context of like their purchasing power. I don't think we'll get rid of the idea of government because it's really got a religious foundation. Like it's, it's, I believe in taxes. I believe in the authority of someone else to do something that's evil, but they're excused. Um, and, uh, so because of that, <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, because of that, you know, you burn down a church, uh, it doesn't make people not religious. Yeah. Um, so like the government will be far less effectual, but I think there will still be the idea of taxes. There will still be the idea of legal tender laws. It will just be a kind of ghost of its former self. Could it it be like a religion? In 10 years' time, it will start to look like... I think we're already seeing it become kind of a ghost. We're about to go into the collapse that we're not going to get out of. Yeah. And we'll really start panicking about a decade into this collapse. So I I think every time a country has hyperinflation... It's another, I mean, the country has to change to a different currency unless their army comes and says, we're just re-denominating. Now, you know, 100 of the old one is one of the new one. But I think we're getting to the era where that's no longer going to be possible. And I think that every time a country has hyperinflation, it's like we're rolling the dice. Will they pick Bitcoin? Will Bitcoin be the thing they choose instead of U.S. dollars or instead of euros or whatever? Dollar 2.0. And I think uh, at at some point... This will probably happen to the United States. The U.S. dollar will not last forever. It could be, um, I would, I mean, it could be 50 years uh, away. It could be maybe 10 years away uh, when we have hyperinflation of the U.S. dollar. It could be 100 years away. But whenever that happens, Americans will switch to something different. And if Bitcoin is the best available thing, especially if the euro is not doing well or the Chinese uh, yuan is not doing well, then it, it could very well be Bitcoin. So I can't, uh, I can't take the bet to get back to the bet that we're discussing because I don't know if our hyperinflation is in uh, 25 years or 50 years. Uh, nobody knows. Yeah. Um, I would say that in the next nine years, there will be three halvings. And uh, Bitcoin's stock to flow. Something that we know for sure, finally. Something that we know for sure. <laughs> and the stock to flow ratio will be higher than any asset that's ever existed ever and there will be all all rules are off the table i think i think uh, by 2030 any attempt to guess a time frame or to see what's going to happen or how much is bitcoin going to be worth I think is just kind of like, we're just gonna have to see when we get there. So I, I'm really hating the fact that I've spent most of the hour and 12 minutes that we've we've been doing this, being such a fucking Debbie Downer about Bitcoin. No, it's, it's good. Awesome. No, it's I wonderful. Love it. I love it. Someone yeah. has to say it, yeah. yeah. Who, so, who, they understand Bitcoin, but they don't understand how different things are gonna be and how easy it is to change your money into Bitcoin now. So, so I, I definitely don't want you guys to think that I'm coming here as some kind of like no corner being full of bullshit, because I'm, deathly afraid that like someone's going to stab me in the parking lot with a Bitcoin knife, <laughs> um, which I don't want to have happen. We know you're being, you're playing devil's advocate. the episode so titled? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. This is becoming a habit. Yeah, I mean, Ron was doing that with big government earlier. I mean, yeah, someone's was, just taking the other stance. Yeah. yeah. So, so with, with everyone's <laughs> blessing and consent, I'd like to maybe make a controversial statement about something slightly different, what you just mentioned. Is, is ever does anyone got any closing statements? I, I do have to say no, so no, like closing I, on this topic. I just, yeah, yeah. So, no, no, I'm so I'm reading the Bitcoin standard right now, and the scenario that Jared described is actually the author describes as more tragic 
Because what it would actually entail is that for the next hundred years, every generation will work their whole life, struggling to move up in the uh, a social class and failing because we'll be stuck mired in this situation. They, I mean, does anyone think that we'll correct in a way where people would start being able to move up in the world no. if we don't have a Bitcoin type correction? You'll just be mm-hmm. stuck with the status quo of now at best, of now for the foreseeable. I'm not that pessimistic. I mean, I don't think the status quo is so bad right now. Uh, I think we'll be able to to stretch the U.S. dollar out for quite a long time, and uh, I'm not I'm not that worried. I don't know. Roommates till your 30s is like become the status quo, man. It's like it's not cool. Did Did you guys have a um, podcast on Plan B's stock to flow model? Is that a um, pregnancy avoidance? To some. What was Jared To some here? degree we did, I think. Jared, are you aware of the model? Plan B is, he's a, he, he has the most famous model oh, in Bitcoin. So, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's exactly what I wanted to ask about. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, Bitcoin has, is, is moving towards a higher stock to flow ratio, correct? Do I have yes. that correct? Yeah. yeah. So um, here's my controversial statement, and I believe that some folks may not agree with this, but don't quote me on it. Um, as Bitcoin's stock-to-flow ratio increases, the price will continue in to increase until it completely stabilizes. That the higher the stock-to-flow ratio is, the more stable the currency becomes. That is my controversial statement. I agree. That is controversial. Wait, stabilize the price in yeah, what? Yeah, when, when you say stable, but you have to say compared to another so, so, currency. So compared to, so let's just assume the U.S. dollar for right now. Mm, no. So, so why why would it not? Do you know that? Are you familiar with the model? Absolutely. So, so why would it not stabilize? So, the it, model predicts the price going to infinity. So, <laughs> that's no, but that's, to, that's consistent, right? No, no, that's completely consistent. <laughs> Once you get to infinity. It's pretty stable. No, it's Unless cons- you go to uncountable infinity with irrational numbers and stuff, but countable infinity is very stable. Sorry. So what about that's beyond what meant, then, then I think we so, all agree. Uh, knowing that infinity is not achievable, right? Knowing that... No, I, I, don't I know agree that. it is. I absolutely I think it believe is. it's going to go down. You know what? No. Maybe I should just back off. No, hold on a second. My laptop is still you have to understand why. Digits. You have to understand why. Sure, hit me with it. Okay, it goes to infinity, not because Bitcoin's value is... I can buy infin- infinity houses with it. It goes to infinity because the dollar is no longer a reasonable pricing mechanism. Interesting. So, uh, I guess that that ruins you, the any, Bitcoin no, becomes, becomes the money. Exactly. Therefore, so, there is no price in else. dollar. Yeah. One so, Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. So exactly. <laughs> we would have to come up for the purpose of this hypothetical with another way to value Bitcoin, right? That yeah, we'd have to have values. We'd have to value it in, or something. Big, big max. Yeah. Well, Big Macs, that's a pretty stable, that's a pretty stable yeah. currency. Um, it, it's, it is my position that there is only so many assets. There's only so much production that can take place before. Whoa. Before. Before. Um, I end the sentence. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've always, I, for, for whatever reason, I've had it in my head that at some point, Bitcoin with its extremely high stock to flow ratio will create price stability. I'm yeah. actually that, so that, uh, at the that, end. Yes. Yes. In pri- in Bitcoin prices, there will be some degree of 
well, it'll be the most liquid asset and there will absolutely be stability. We'll see growth. Like, like, like when we see like in the last hundred years is like the price of a chicken, like the price of like a pound of chicken or something went from like, uh, like two hours or three hours worth of labor down to like five minutes today. Sure. That will be the devalue. That will be the deflation in the currency sure. is in the ability to produce the things that we, which we consume far faster, far more cheaper. Like the actual deflation of the value of the currency will simply be in the production of the economy in which that currency is used. Um, so it will be very stable because production and growth will be relatively stable. It, it typically is. It's a little bit cyclical and like things increase over time, but prices will be sticky. Wages will be sticky just because, you know, you'll have long-term contracts and we won't you know, we won't cut the cost of producing a pound of chicken by 99% in one year. Like, it will just happen slowly over time as we... I, I do so, think there's a big... So, so that's basically what I was getting at. Maybe okay. I, I, I screwed the pooch by bringing in U.S. dollars because we're so ingrained in talking about things in dollars. And I think this is an inherent flaw, and this is a, a topic that we've gotten, in, uh, gotten into this podcast numerous times. We don't even have the necessary language to talk about this stuff. We're still developing the language out, and um, you know, I, I yeah, I think you're 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 exactly right. In U.S. dollars, the the dollar is going to become absolutely worthless uh, compared to the Zimbabwean dollar to the U.S. dollar. It's exactly what's happened. Um, but when when we have a Bitcoin-based economy, Bitcoin will stabilize with a extremely high stock-to-flow ratio. The, no, I, I, I want to push back a little bit um, because I think yeah, I, I, this is what. No, I won't get political. Um, the, the, I have shut the bed of this podcast. Let right. me tell you, you get political. I, you I, it's get. not political, but I'll, I'll mention Donald Trump's name. He <laughs> said, he said what, what, when Donald Trump was campaigning, he said something like, um, you know, why are we, why are we, you know, why are we talking about 3% you know, growth? Why can't we have, you know, under me, we're going to have 4 or 5% growth, you know, whatever. But, but in my view, like, so I think the deflation rate will mirror approximately the rate of society's productivity growth, mm -hmm. right? And I believe the reason why I believe in Bitcoin is that it's going to melt inefficiencies in society, yeah. aka government. And growth could be ridiculous. So productivity growth will be large. Um, so you, yes, we'll see stability, but we'll see pretty impressive deflation i think everyone should be happy about that but i think you know I, so i'm you know on the orders of let's just say 10 percent. well you know i don't even think something like, like like as everything becomes some form of an information economy and you see like like the 3d printing of houses and stuff that's happening now i mean they they put up like a a, a group of cement houses in a matter of like 23 hours um, and it was like 20 buildings or something like that. I mean, like the, as everything becomes an information technology slowly, like, I think you're right. I think we'll see massive increases in productivity. Um, and I don't think it's crazy to expect at least the possibility of something like, um, uh, in actual productivity and actual manufacturing, uh, across the economy, something that we similarly see in computers now. Um, I, yeah. I think that goods will stabilize in Bitcoin before Bitcoin stabilizes in dollars. 
that at some point it'll you'll be more reliably know how much a tube of toothpaste will cost in Bitcoin than how much it will cost in dollars because they'll be printing so much to try to save it at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah, a good way is just to like think about Venezuelan dollars or some other country's dollars. And I think the right language, you're talking about we finding the language. I think the language is purchasing power, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we just need to start measuring things in terms of purchasing power. I know that's like an average over a lot of things. Yeah, at but. some point, owning one Bitcoin, your purchasing power is not going to go up that fast anymore. Yeah. You know, it'll probably be, buy a lot, but it's not going to buy you a lot more the next year if you just didn't spend it. Yeah, I think that's a much what you guys have just said. What you guys have just said is a much more eloquent point than what I was trying to do with U.S. dollars, and that's basically what I was trying to get at. Yeah, well, we still haven't. You haven't shot the bed. I think you. I I agree with Paul. Like you bring up the points that like pre-coiners are <laughs> going to bring up and I think that's awesome. Well, like a but normal it, sensible person, which none yeah, of us exactly. are. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I know like you don't believe this. Um, I think in terms of back to your original bet of when is it that Bitcoin's going to kind of take over? Um, my guess is probably similar to Paul's like uh, 25 years or something like that. But one factor I think we haven't talked about very much is that the U.S. dollar is probably going to be the last thing, or the U.S. is going to be the last country to adopt Bitcoin as a major part of its government. So a lot of this, to me, depends on the cascade that starts with what small country that decides to make Bitcoin, and when do they do that? Because that could be three years from now, or that that could be like... Right. It could be happening 10 now. years like it could be happening now like when and this is going to be so weird because you know i i hate to, like i see a huge kind of conflict coming between the the people that don't respect the dollar as the world financial currency like there's going to be a big shift of people in small countries to bitcoin and i think there's going to be a fight and i i really don't know how this fight's going to go down like if it's going to go down peacefully or not. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing to keep in mind is it's not even necessarily the government converting to Bitcoin. If the citizens of a country started using Bitcoin, inadvertently, they would have made this financial decision that will pay off hugely for them, that they will inadvertently get incredibly wealthy in this country that will have all this wealth that the countries that did not, their citizens didn't adopt Bitcoin don't, doesn't have. It's really the citizens of individual countries that have to adopt Bitcoin, and the one, the countries where the most citizens adopt are going to be the wealthiest in the future. Well, if that's the case, then it might be the U.S. that does go to Bitcoin sooner, because I'd say there's more Bitcoin adoption as a percentage in the U.S. than there is anywhere else. Like if you look at the the node count um, on the, you know, bitnodes.earn.com and look at like the geographic distribution of node operators. It's mostly it's all over the U.S. It's disproportionately mm-hmm. large in the U.S. So yeah. I don't know, but it, it seems like the other countries have more financial incentive to adopt Bitcoin, but the U.S. might do it quicker. I don't know. Like the po- These are huge questions. Ironically, no the poorest country adopting Bitcoin, even though they would pay themselves in these, you know, in just a couple of Satoshis for their everyday purchases, that would slowly pay off. It would pay off in, but in a massive way for that country. Yeah. Well, that country, like if we're talking about like some poor country or smaller country, actually just being able to accumulate capital, like that would be revolutionary. 
yeah. like for the normal conditions that they have now is that they have they have none of that compounding effect of being able to store even, you know a day's worth of value and then take off two days worth even of as the poorest country they would still have a purchasing power advantage over countries that had way more wealth because the money they their wealth they did earn was put into a better currency Yeah, so my my answer to the bet, I'm not confident at all because I could see it happening and I could see it happening so quickly. Like I could see this kind of avalanche thing happening. I think we'll have a fast price reset that at some point uh, we'll just get to a million really fast. I Why think are we wasting money on buying beer then? We shouldn't be. Well, because there's only there's only so much time preference that you can adjust for mm-hmm. beer at some the, point you need coffee first thing in the morning beer makes the meetup better and it makes the meetup better and it makes the avalanche happen quicker yeah because people speak honestly <laughs> right that that's the bullish the bullishness comes to the surface. my reason why i think 25 years is answer by the way on the time preference thing yeah, yeah. um uh on the 25 years is why i think that's a little i mean maybe it's not too long maybe it makes sense it's too long but uh, is I'm what, trying 30, to temper myself a little bit here, Ron. We're talking Let about me do 2044, that. right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Net, the first internet browser was 1995, yeah. 24 years old. Could, could we identify what Plan B so, yeah. model shows for 25 years from now? Yeah, yeah, we can look that up. It's more uh, than 100 I don't million even know. Bitcoin. It's, it's game over by then. Yeah. Um, the stock to flow was the stock to flow makes that look ridiculous. But um, doesn't he uh, qualify his? Doesn't he say the stock to flow model is not valid beyond a certain point? Obviously, he doesn't say it's good to to infinity. He says it's not really valid past a certain point. I'm pretty sure he, he was mentioned. Pretty sure when he, he said referenced it. that it's it's in the sense that it doesn't make sense to price it in dollars. During, during it, I mean, once you're a million dollars a coin. Okay. You're $21 trillion. Yeah. yeah, during the price run, or let's say Bitcoin is, for some reason, racing to $100 million. You should not keep the $100 million. You wanted to convert it into actual goods. That's just my personal investment advice for that one scenario. Wait, dollars? Oh, no, no, or no, no. you yes. mean well, God's no. not going to like this? <laughs> Say that again. When, so during a huge price run up in Bitcoin, if we got to like $100 million, you don't want to actually convert your Bitcoin to $100 million. You want to buy $100 million worth Stuff. of land Stuff. at that yes. point. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or just leave it in Bitcoin. Yeah. Or, or leave it in Bitcoin if you want to ride it back down yeah. the 40% crash and then do it, do it all over again. But that, yeah, yeah that, that's my heart. I have a difficult time when people are like, oh, why, why don't you sell, you know? And it's just like, and buy what? <laughs> it's like people are like, Bitcoin. Yeah, right. <laughs> when you sell out of something, you have to sell into something else. Something, yeah. that you enjoy, something you enjoy that would theoretically earn you money, earn you Bitcoin again. Yeah, but like the like as yeah, far yeah. as like as like far as like us. Rent out. Yeah. Uh, and you for, for example. Yeah. See the houses. yeah, I guess yeah. the answer is just that I don't. Even when I think about investing in something like that, I, even if it's a house that I rent out or buy a business, I can't think out. of anything that's going to make me more money. The than things just that you want to spend Bitcoin. your Bitcoin haven't been invented yet. Oh, that's a good answer. So, rocket ships to Mars and space villages and but still, life extension and really cool VR scenarios. But you realize what it means, though, is that like you'll 
the capital, any capital that you've produced will be, is left in the economy. Like you're not consuming, you have ultra high time preference in that scenario where right. you're waiting for something that can legit change your life in a, in a concrete and very serious way when you were finally cashing out because right. the value of that new thing, it creates a, uh, essentially a spending function where savings yeah. happens until major breakthroughs come. Like it's not meaningless like, oh, I got to have iPhone 11.1, 11.2, you know, like it's not the next model. It's when something real comes along and you're like, holy shit, this really changes my life. So um, do you think that when people don't understand that about me, do you think it's just because of they don't understand having low time preference? No, like I think they, they just, actually are right. I think the hodling was a big strategic mistake for the community that wrecked a lot of people economically, that we should have told people that it's a bubble play the bubble like any normal investor would play a hodl bubble for a period because our, we, essentially the people forever. that were most loyal to bitcoin got the most wrecked like that's clearly the wrong strategic policy you Wait, are you are you just talking about the the run-up in 2017 every and also the previous run-ups that whole but if you held through all the run-ups then but then you don't get to enjoy no. it also well, it's just a question of like yeah, everybody has medium term. You, you sh just time because you support purchases. Bitcoin shouldn't mean you should invest badly, which is essentially what hodling is a like is what? a it has it's this ideological make a bad investment decision, don't sell when you know it's about to crash. No, uh, see, I disagree. Crash? Like, I'm not. That's not like my investment philosophy. That's my if investment. I absolutely in knew a reliable it was going to crash, investment. and I did all my tax implications, and I ran through all that stuff, and I was like so sure that it was going to crash by fifty percent. Then yeah, I but knew. We're, it was but I'm never that sure. Five thousand when it hit five thousand, two thousand seventeen. Should I have sold? <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. I mean, you're timing the market. You're you're playing a speculative game. And if you're playing the long time preference game, if you're if you're playing this like this is an asset, like see one thing that he mentioned that at least made me think of like people who've asked me and like my personal experience is that they're like, oh, wow. So, you know, you've made a lot of money on that investment. You should sell out. But they don't think about it in like, oh, I'm I'm hedging against a hype they, bubble they and then the next collapse. They don't, they don't believe, believe in Bitcoin. In it. That's they why think I made sell. money on an investment that's done you and run lucky. its course you're gonna sell and I got to get out or I'm not going to get anything out of it. But you're going to sell the Bitcoin at the top or you're going to sell it at the bottom. The reality is like, aren't people spending some of their Bitcoin savings for like regular purchases? Like, right? Shouldn't yeah. you have sold, the, shouldn't you have sold at the top of the big bubble? Uh, 1200 in 2013? <laughs> No, but you're, you know, you just have to under, I mean, the market cycle is obvious. We can't pretend like this isn't an obvious market. Like, a market cycle. Well, I it's, thought it's so visually it, obvious. It, it, there's been, there's only been like three peaks. Like we, at what point did you establish that there well, was a, a pattern? I mean, what, I don't know. I feel like people, people like Trace Meyer support Bitcoin, but they absolutely don't think it's wise to just enjoy, oh, ride the bubble up, watch it crash and do nothing. You know, I think what he's saying is if you just, let's say you have a, thousand bitcoin and that's all you have and you never spend any of it you haven't it hasn't served your purpose you have to also live your life yeah I, like, well i think just bitcoin, holding it you're gonna have a miserable life but you might have that excitement of like no one's gonna do that though no one's gonna live in misery people, eventually time preference 
like adjust yeah. with what you like, actually have available to spend. Like, if, if I'm just to hold it and never spend, like if I take it to the maximal, like I'm just holding. Yeah, but I don't think anyone has ever done that or okay. will ever do that. My, my thing is you should have invested knowing it was a bubble and you should have played it to expand your total Bitcoin supply. You should have sold at the top, rebought at the bottom, and hodling missed out on this very obvious investment opportunity that had happened Did twice before. I think that's always been the know. case. Like, that's always the case that, you know, we can sell when it goes up. I mean, I thought, like, like I was trying to compare it to the previous bubble. And in the 2013, like, early 14 bubble, uh, we saw 100% move within a day. And the peak move really was, like, 40-ish percent and it pulled back really quick and it looked like it was setting up to do another run I thought we were going to 30 um, and so I didn't sell and then when we started to flatten out at six um, uh, I thought we weren't we went sideways at six for ages which looked exactly like that shit that happened in 2015 and I was like oh wow this is the bottom and uh, and then I made decisions and lo and behold, it dumps again. And then when we came back up at 6,000, I, we, we had doubled the price and then some, and I thought we were going to run into a massive amount of resistance because there we sat for four months earlier in the year at 6,000. So it's like, obviously it's not going to just double from here. And that's exactly what it did. Like, it's not obvious. It's just, it's, it's never obvious when it happens because the more obvious it is, the more people are they're trying to make the same decision and the less likely that decision is going to make it actually do anything. My specific advice is that we all know when there's a critical mass of people who shouldn't be investing in Bitcoin or investing in Bitcoin, you should sell. You should yeah. try to sell at the top and rebuy back at the bottom. And then you who are an intelligent Bitcoin person who's been contributing to the community it can actually profit from this speculation instead of getting wrecked by it. I should have, and I hope to do it next time. That's what time. I'm saying. <laughs> this next round, we next should not time. be hostile. We should play it correctly. You, you can't get wrecked by holding. That's true. That's and, true. and as Pierre Rochard so said, Pierre Rochard, you know the name? Mm. Yeah. yeah, as he said, like when, when Bitcoin hit like 15,000, 18,000, he's like, he, he was just like, oh my God, it's hyper Bitcoinization. It's happening. <laughs> We're going to a million. It's like, right. how do you sell? I will possibly I will agree with the way that and I'm just going to say this on if Bitcoin does go to 100k let's say if it goes slowly to 20k over the next 6 months and then it goes from 20k to 100k 2 months after this that This is the pattern we all know is going to then, happen. Then yeah. then when it gets to 100k my mindset is right now that I'm going to so. buy some land because yeah. I'm expecting it so I'll, so I'll agree with him with that but it's going to happen and you guys are going to call me out on it and I'm going to be like it's happening like it's going to a million <laughs> I'm never selling <laughs> like but the but, dollar's done, guys. It's done. <laughs> it's over a final island. No, but I, I do agree with Wade that that is kind of my plan right now. I just hope I can have the discipline. No, that's mine too. That's These mine too. These are trading yeah. strategies, and maybe we can make some yeah. Bitcoin. But yeah, but we should think about the concept of hodling more critically. I don't think hodling actually benefited Bitcoin at all. I think the sacrifice of not trying to play the market didn't benefit Bitcoin at all. If you just said, oh, I'm going to swaddle to help the community. No, you didn't. 
But have you yeah. have, have you looked at those hot wave graphs though? Like the, I was about to say, I it just is kind of it is pretty clear that like so we're I don't know what generation we are, but there was a generation before me. Like I'm making this plan now to buy land when it goes to 100k, but there was a generation before me that made the plan to buy land when it went to 10k, mm-hmm. and and they did it. Like if you look at like the hot wave charts, so I, I don't think like it's a natural tendency, Classic. and then there are always those. Yeah, there's. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, we just described a Bitcoin cast system. <laughs> you go through your levels huh. of learning first year. Yeah. Of the hype cycles. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. And you also remember too, like in the previous one, like like we had so many. I mean, I've been reading articles for a million years trying to figure out You've like how to Bitcoin articles than, than anybody than anybody <laughs> and anybody you know. <laughs> And they tried, there are so many different models trying to understand what the value of the thing was so that we can like get some sort of idea of when it was under or oversold or uh, uh, overbought. And everything fell short. Everything worked for like one cycle and some change and then fell apart. The, the MVT ratio, the, um, the mayor multiple is still a decent one, but it's also getting less and less um, uh, I guess correlated, um, and the, like there were like five or six major ones. Stock to flow is fresh. Stock to flow is four months, five months old, and now people are looking at it and being like, "Holy crap, this is a really big one." And we can also see it diverge from that. But th- that's let those fuckers know it's stabilizing at infinity. <laughs> <laughs> Fundamentally, it's all supply and demand, and I feel like. Probably someone could have interjected this a long time ago in this conversation, um, but fundamentally it's always supply and demand, and it's very easy to model the supply of Bitcoin because we know the rate of mining, and we know that most of the hodlers are going to keep hodling, so there's not very many Bitcoins being produced. Um, we don't know the demand, and I think that's just an absolutely enormous variable. I mean, when is Fidelity going to open up Bitcoin for all their real retail customers? <laughs> then it's going to go over a million probably. Uh, why would they not do that? So I don't believe in any kind of technical analysis. Um, I like the stock-to-flow model as an economic concept. That's an old economic concept. Uh, but that's really uh, supply side. And so the whole, the whole deal for me in predicting the Bitcoin price, long-term or short-term, is, is what is the demand? That's the big question. Yeah. The demand depends on how many people are listening to high-quality podcasts like the Raleigh Meetup podcast. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously, the the demand to me is partly a function of the unequal distribution of information or like high quality information about what Bitcoin is. Like, I think demand is going to be a function of education in a way. I'm hoping the next big run up is from institutional investors and hedge funds and things like this and not uh, just purely retail like the last bubble because I think institutional money will, will lead to a much higher price for a much longer amount of time. If they can figure out the custodial problem, uh, my, my hunch is that institutions still haven't figured out the custodial thing. Yeah, they're definitely working on it. I think I recently, I'm sure Guy knows about this, um, I think I read an article that said that Fidelity was working on this, and also Zappa was bought, which might have been in the same article. That might be all the same story. Um, no, Coinbase bought Zappa. Okay, right. Um, so those Coinbase are two bought Zappa, stories. and yeah, and Fidelity has Fidelity had an article like breaking down. I think Fidelity is the one that actually open sourced their uh, cold storage thing to actually like publish it. 
I may have actually read that one on the show. I don't remember the details though. Um, but, uh, I remember all, all I remember is my impression of it. And I remember thinking, damn, okay, these guys know what the hell they're talking about. Um, I don't know anything about Bact. As far, I haven't read any specifics as to their like cold storage setup. Yeah, me neither, but I'm sure they have one. Oh, yeah. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. I I wonder, in addition to cold storage, I think big institutions are used to this insurance, like lender of last resort is the government. There's going to be like a socialized bailout if shit hits the fan. And with, with Bitcoin, there is just not this. Like by custody solution, I partly mean really accepting responsibility for... Like, you're not going to get bailed out if you lose this Bitcoin. Like, there is no one to call when you lose it. I think that's a really hard problem. I mean, if you're the CEO of Coca-Cola or Microsoft and your company is holding Bitcoin, uh, what do you do when the Bitcoin are all gone? I mean, just custody in general is is a really hard problem. You mean when when they lose it or when... Yeah, I mean, if you're any institution, you're not an individual... How how do you protect the Bitcoin that your institution holds? Yeah, and 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 make sure that it can't suffer from some kind of heist. And it's a lot easier for people to do cold storage on their own than exactly. it is to trust other people in an institution. Yeah, yeah. that's why I, I'm kind of not so bullish on institutional holding. Is that I, I think that problem is going to be tough. Um, I, yeah, I think it's a super tough problem, but also solvable. And part of it will be that they. They trust uh, Fidelity or Coinbase to hold their coins. Um, I think, I actually think that's going to be a huge differentiator in the market, particularly during our next hype cycle. And I think that problem will actually be solved quickly. Um, uh, I think it will be solved with uh, a version of what they're already used to, actually. Um, But it will be a key sharing system. I think I think we'll see the norm where every large balance is held behind 20 keys um, and that it is not a simple like I've got a hardware wallet and a computer and I'm doing this. I think I think with uh, and maybe it will be with the next um, well no it doesn't make any sense like because the transaction cost is like almost it's nothing nuts. when you're looking at yeah. um, like a ton of multi-sig. I mean we've already got like Casa is essentially a pseudo custodian custodian for some of my coins because they're holding one of my keys um they can't spend it but they can get it back if i lose if i lose my phone yeah i mean the exchanges are a honeypot right now and they're developing their defenses and they've done incredibly well that's one of the upsetting things about these articles were like oh an exchange got robbed if their exchange is still in business it survived the attack because they're making money hand over fist and that robbery means nothing it's not like you, your local Wells Fargo gets robbed. You're not like, oh no, my retirement savings. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, the custody. You know, if we're talking about institutions, I mean, the institutions with big money are pension funds, governments, and they cannot custody themselves. They have to. They're required to outsource that. Um, that's weird, that's a good man. point. That that's the law, so I weird. About that. Yeah. So it's, how is that going to? They're required yeah, to outsource yeah. the custody. Yes, like a pension fund, for example, that has over $150 million in assets cannot yeah. custody. So they don't wow. custody anything. Um, so it's, in a way, it's clean because it's a separation of problems. But there's another layer of problems for, for um, you know, the institutions coming, which is, which is the, the, the rules on what they can buy. And I think that is a harder hurdle. Um, it's going to delay more their, their coming into Bitcoin. 
and I think I think what's going to happen is there's going to be another hype cycle. You know, these these rules change slowly, and they're going to be very motivated when they see Bitcoin hit a hundred thousand. Like, wait, we need to change our rules. We can no longer afford to be out of this asset. So I'm curious what these rules are. I'm not that familiar with this. Are, can big institutions, for example, own uh, some bizarre Eastern European currency or some African currency, but not Bitcoin? Is it, is it clear, Microsoft can own anything they want and they can custody yeah. or not. Um, Take it easy, mate. It's, it's, um, it's regulated institutions, which are typically the ones that have the most my pension fund specifically. I feel like we've done an injustice because Guy has just left and we didn't have an official comment on the podcast of seeing him go. So goodbye, Guy. <laughs> goodbye, Guy. He well, says later. Listen to the Crypt Economy podcast. It's official. Yeah, so, some absurd portion of all equities are actually tied up in pensions. Yeah, so where were we? You're talking about, uh, yeah, so Microsoft can hold anything they want. So they have no problem holding Bitcoin uh, yeah. if they can trust Brian Armstrong at Coinbase to not run off with it, uh, right? Or whoever they're trusting for custody. Well, they could literally have the CEO hold it. They, they're not, they don't have regulations. Yeah, well, what if it's Enron? I mean, maybe maybe even if they have 10 of their 20 they guys. They have fiduciary yeah, responsibility. You know, yeah, true. so it's, it's complicated, but um, yeah, and I don't know about the rules that, that pension funds, for example, have and what they can invest in, but obviously it's more limited. Uh, they don't custody anything. Yeah, although, but I mean, the, the investing side is different from the custody side, right? So can a pension fund invest in Bitcoin as long as they don't custody it? It depends on the rules of that pension fund. Right. But generally, you know, they're highly regulated and generally no today. Yeah, I remember seeing a tweet that 2014 was going to be the year of institutional investment <laughs> in Bitcoin. So I, I think... Really? Yeah, part of my hesitation with this is just maybe being disappointed. And there's always so much hype about the ETF. There's so much hype about institutional investment. And it kind of maybe it's in the family of people getting hyped about lightning and hyped about Schnorr signatures. And people just get hyped about some future thing that Bitcoin needs to have happen in order to succeed. And I just I'm I'm. I'm not there anymore. I'm not looking forward to this hype. Bitcoin doesn't need institutional investment. Bitcoin doesn't really need lightning. Like all these things it, it are great. It needs an ETF. <laughs> but, I, I think the real next breakthrough for Bitcoin will people will stop thinking of its price speculatively and they'll accept that it, this is the correct price. They won't think of it at right now. They still think you're betting on the, some sort of future technology that's going to magically emerge from Bitcoin because they don't understand it. And people realize, oh no, it is just a currency, just like the pound is just a currency, and this is the correct price the currency. We're not speculating on future value. Do you think 10K is? I think it'll be around 100K. So right now, it's surprising to us how like everybody's pretty respectable on like business and the Wall Street Journal and CNBC compared to last cycle. This next cycle, I think that'll be the transformers. People aren't gonna be like, oh, this is a speculative investment. It's going to be, you are, this is the correct price plus you think it might accumulate. I think if Guy were here, I'm going to be the ghost of Guy right now. He would say that all prices are speculative because you're always thinking about the future value of anything. Like even with a dollar bill, you're just speculating that this will be worth a dollar in the future and that there is no difference between like real value and speculative value. 
but uh, that's just me. Yeah, I'm not saying <laughs> that's correct as much as the way it'll be spun in the mainstream. I think they'll be like, this is about the peak. 100000 is the correct price for Bitcoin. This is a real currency like the pound of the dollar, and it's not going any <clears throat> higher. But yeah, we could see it stabilizing here and then. So, so uh, I want to just take a step back, Stephen, to something that you said a, uh, a couple minutes ago. Um, you mentioned uh, 2014 being the year of the institutional investor. Yeah. We've got 18 million of the 21 million Bitcoin. Yeah, I do. I've got 1 million of them. Well, I mean, I don't have the other 17. Um, so we're, we're well into the entire supply of Bitcoin even out there. Yeah. Why is it that, that we're thinking that institutional investors are not holding Bitcoin? Yeah, good point. I mean, I don't think we have any evidence to support that they are or aren't, and I think that we need to assume that they're not mostly idiots. Not mostly idiots. I'm sure there are some that are, but we, I think I that think tons, of people, tons of people are buying Bitcoin and tons of people are buying large supplies of Bitcoin. Over-the-counter purchases of Bitcoin are taking place in massive scales, and I think people are diversifying their portfolios with Bitcoin. And I think it's a mistake to assume that that hasn't already taken place. But in institutions, we do know that they're not. Generally, I mean, we have many hedge people because it's our institutions are not institutions in this. Like they could be investing in Bitcoin. Hedge funds, sure. Right now, but, but isn't that institutions? No, we're talking about it. We're talking about pensions. So even like the, if we're considering hedge funds institutions, it's already possible. You know, well, it also depends on the hedge fund. I mean, many hedge funds would fall under the category of institution institutional money, but we also do have insight into their into their lack of Bitcoin ownership because, you know, because they have clients um, and clients are aware of their assets. Yeah, we have they're, lots they're, of insight. I mean, Pomp, for example, you know, we have lots of insiders that report on this. Yeah, they still got to report how much um, they made their investors that quarter in a somewhat public fashion. And how? And they definitely have to report like stock holdings. So. I don't know. They're not going to be like, you know, Hold just it. some sort of black fund. Like this fund, we're not telling you what we're investing in, but it's making a lot of money. <laughs> what, one thing that's related to this, though, is we had a guy come to the thir the Thursday Bitcoin meetup a couple weeks ago that was like, yeah, I'm a financial planner. You know, I, I give people financial advice and stuff. And, you know, he's coming to the Bitcoin meetup and we're like, oh, you're talking to your clients about Bitcoin. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not allowed to do that. But personally, I'm <laughs> yeah. investing Bitcoin. So I wonder how much of these, like Jamie Dimon, or like these big-time bankers, these big-time millionaires and stuff that operate these funds, they can't publicly invest it in, in the public money, but they personally are heavily invested in it. I know there's yeah. that's maybe not a big comparison, but... The actual you analysts know, are if, all very aware of Bitcoin and probably have speculated some. If we're doing big money, that's what I'm considering to be institutional big, investors. Big money, they, yeah. they are probably. They I are absolutely in it. And I think it is a mistake to assume that they're not. People that don't understand the fundamentals, people that don't understand what Bitcoin is going to do to money, I think they are more, they're, they have put more money than we have. And I think they mm -hmm. control a majority of what Bitcoin's out there. That's my current opinion. Majority. I think a majority of it. Yeah, is it not old holders? Nah, cypherpunk's got majority, man. Yes. I think they're 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 the man. We gotta stick it to those fuckers the most. <laughs> Who the cypherpunk? Yeah, they're the new man. They're the man. <laughs> no, I I I I disagree. The Jameson Lops of the world, in particular. I I can yeah. see how you would think that, but but let's go back to 2016 or 2015. Um, at this point, I think a huge majority of the Bitcoin owners were kind of cypherpunkish. 
And I think if that Bitcoin had been transferred from the cypherpunks to the bankers, I think we would have seen even more of a price increase than we do now because the cypherpunks are holding on to that stuff for dear life. Yes. You know, they, they may yeah. have, you know, they may have gotten a boat or a vacation. You know? what's, right. what's super sexy right. about this is that this is pure speculation and we will never know. Yeah, we'll never know. But, and I think it's, it's, right. it's almost a little bit fun to, to guess. Yeah. But there are people that are so invested and intertwined with with traditional finance and are individuals of high net worth valued in fiat that are buying large volumes of Bitcoin. And I, and I guess my point is that can't be ignored. Yeah. I think we have to account for that. Yeah, definitely. But I don't, I don't think it's that high a percentage because I think the price would, would have reflected it. If it was the case that 50% of the Bitcoin is owned by banksters, I think we would have, I think the price of Bitcoin would be like a million dollars. Do you think this is a lunatic fringe of the wealthy people or like how far like you? So what I've seen from a personal friends and, and obviously I don't want to like dive into anything too crazy here, uh, but the incredibly wealthy clients that I've represented that have gotten into it because they enjoy this speculative fun of betting on Bitcoin and other related shit coins that they they floated the ICO economy. Mm -hmm. By, yeah. by having the disposable income to put tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on, you know, your favorite shitcoin. But do, don't you, you don't think they're the lunatic fringe of the wealthy? That they're just doing this for fun? That it's not like... I don't think that's lunacy. I think they've just got disposable income. I mean, no, I'm not going to judge a, your it's porcelain It's a $300 billion dollar asset class. It's small. It's tiny. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, I, is it lunacy for me to collect highly collectible... Um, digital trading cards, right? I mean, I think we've explored how freaking cool that is before here, right? I mean, how is that different from the lunacy of some guy with a collectible porcelain cat collection? I, I just think wealthy people are like, is this like, are they doing it for fun is what it sounds like, not something they would talk about at the country club. Here's what I'm investing in. I'm investing in Bitcoin and people will be like, that's stupid. If, if you know, I, I think among the wealthy, the idea of investing in Bitcoin is stupider than among people that need a leg up in life. You so, know? so what I have seen with my own two God-given eyes, use those terms <laughs> loosely, um, is that there are folks that are incredibly wealthy that see the benefit of using their wealth to make some money and hope that they're going to make a crap ton because they're well positioned to do it. And that they share that with their friends. They, they bring their friends to my office. They take them to their mining operations and they show it off like they would a car. Or I kind of see it as a status symbol now, like a new like, Louis Vuitton bag. It's like, if you don't have a Bitcoin, you're not in the game. Like you're not on my level. I, I've, I've literally seen people with large scale mining operations that don't understand what Bitcoin is, not even the basics of it. See, I think that's the lunatic fringe. Like these people might as well be investing in or be movie producers for movies that are like not going to turn a profit. See, this is what I'm talking about. I know what your clients look like. Is this uh, lunatic fringe thing that you talk about related to what I hear commonly talked about is uh, millionaires don't have anything to invest in anymore. So they're just, they're investing in riskier and riskier things just because there aren't enough investment opportunities I, anymore. I don't think it's that yet. I think it's no. the, I think it's like this new money who are kind of got, kind of got it. And like now they're being dumb with it. And that's why they're investing in 
you know. I mean, you mean I, they're being really smart with it? Ironically, they're being smart with it, <laughs> but it is this investment might as well be going to something equally stupid because they don't understand Bitcoin. They just bought a huge getting, They got lucky. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, Bitcoin makes a lot of sense at this point as an alternative investment, which is a big thing for very wealthy people. Right. Um, you know, a lot of these people have family offices that manage their investments, and if you're a uh, family office, I think it makes a lot of sense to put in 1% to 2% into Bitcoin uh, without, without a sweat. And I'm sure they're start. I mean, I don't know this personally, so I'm purely speculating. So the opposite of sure, but I'm sure that they're starting to put in one or two percent, at least, at least some of them. I mean, why would you not do that? You wouldn't put. You'd put rather put one or two percent in Bitcoin than another million dollars in Apple or Amazon. Yes, because it, I mean, no, this sorry. this is the thing that Steve keeps saying that the world of investments right now is is really sad. I mean, everything seems overvalued. Um, bonds are barely yielding anything at all. That's why gold we have is having a big run. Rates, Pe right. People are starting to buy gold because if your yield on bonds is only one percent, you know you might as well just buy gold, which yields nothing but can have capital appreciation. So there's not a lot of. I mean, it, Bitcoin makes sense. It's not like you're saying there's a hundred other things that are better to invest in. Yeah. And I'm sure that the really smart money managers are catching on to this. And yeah, the pension funds maybe aren't going to do it, but. The money managers that have um, more flexibility, like family offices, I'm purely speculating, but I think it makes sense for them to do it, and I, I presume that they are. There is an excellent analogy, I think, um, in the internet. Look at who started investing into the internet early on. There are a bunch of early adopters that were young, interested, um, connected with what this was going to do, and then you started seeing some very well-to-do individuals start investing into startups that were were gonna go places at least they believed in the concept or if they didn't believe in them they were they had the disposable income or had the money to invest into something that was inherently risky no one's gonna bet the farm on a risky asset when you've got that much money but you're willing to take a risk in hopes of a large return I, I, I agree with that and I also think that Bitcoin is a far less risky investment than most startups so again, it, it just makes yeah. sense uh, as a, for a family office or something. Yeah, that, that's a cool thing to say, and I, I agree wholeheartedly, but that I think some folks have, will take convincing, uh, particularly yeah. because yeah. You, you understand what Bitcoin is. I, I've heard you talk about Bitcoin. I know you know what Bitcoin is. But there are folks that are like, okay, well, where could we put some money that's high risk, high reward? Let's put a couple percent, or let's put half a percent, or let's put a million dollars towards it just to see what happens. Um, that is definitively happening uh, yeah. in Bitcoin. That, that's what makes me, one of the things that makes me so confident that the price is going to go up because if 2% of, of really wealthy people, sorry, if really wealthy people decide to put 2% of their assets into Bitcoin, like that's going to make the price skyrocket, right? Like isn't Bitcoin, you know, a fraction of a percent of things that are invested in gold and real estate and in art and stocks and everything like this. Yeah, I mean, if 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 everyone, if all the wealthy people put two percent in, it would have to go. I'm just making this up, right? But yeah. probably way over a million yeah, because the so. supply isn't there. It always goes back to supply and demand, yeah. and so, there is no supply. I mean, you can almost say there is no supply. Well, there's eighteen hundred Bitcoin a day being minted. Yeah, and, and, and I also, I mean, going back to the earlier discussion of can you call the peaks in the troughs, which was, was your argument that you shouldn't, you shouldn't hodl. Um, if my, there, you if, shouldn't blindly hodl. It, That's my, my argument is you yeah. should really consider is hodling a smart economic decision? Does the logic 
just hodl with the misspelling make sense or have you <laughs> yeah. turned your have you turned your life savings into a meme <laughs> yeah so, so so staying on the topic of supply and demand uh if there, the, the, the Bitcoins being minted really matters as the price goes up. So when the price goes up to 20,000, as it did, you, you know those 1,800 Bitcoins, and maybe that was before the last halving, I don't remember, um, but the 1,800 no, Bitcoins now, you can calculate how many millions of dollars that is a day, and at a certain point, it becomes really hard to sustain. So earlier I said the, su the supply is practically nothing, but you, you kind of have to take that in the right context, because if you're in the middle of a big bubble, the, the supply can the production of new supply can completely kill it. But otherwise, there, there isn't very much supply at all compared to almost any other financial asset that's ever existed in history. Yeah, I guess there's a slight caveat with the terminology of supply because if we're talking about on an exchange, the supply means the people that are willing to sell it, right? So, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I talk about supply, uh, I really... I'm really not including all the long-term hodlers, like maybe okay. maybe definitely Satoshi's coins or whatever. I mean, the supply from an economic perspective is just the liquid supply. It's how yeah. much is available to be sold. And if you're never going to sell your coins, they're practically, they're effectively not part of the supply. Yeah. I guess that's analysis that we could answer is like how much of the supply on the order books of exchanges is essentially from new Bitcoin coming about. Actually, I, I don't even have an yeah. estimate for that. I guess maybe a half, less. Okay, so on the order books of exchanges right now, there's people willing to sell. What fraction of that Bitcoin is from like miners that are selling like the supply of Bitcoin? We don't know. Well, I would presume. Well, I, I think there's uh, a lot of assumptions in that. I would presume there may there may well be more OTC trading that we never see than there even is on exchanges. And, and also exchanges are known to to screw with the numbers. I, there's no evidence that that liquidity is actually exists. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, breaking down the supply and demand argument for Bitcoin purely in terms of the supply of freshly minted Bitcoin versus the demand of people wanting it seems weird to me because because as the demand goes up and the price goes up, the supply of people willing to sell it is going to go up. So, I feel like, uh, yes, that's probably true, but I feel like the supply is not very elastic. Mm. So okay. I think yeah. that the supply... Because we have hodlers, good hodlers that yeah. hodl for good reasons forever. <laughs> and, and I mean, over time, more and more Bitcoin, I believe, most likely have come into the hands of long-term hodlers. And they yeah. may be... In, you know, hedge funds or whatever that say like, we want this for the next fifty years for the same reason that the early guys do. I mean, yeah, um, that's but, what but, oh. that's how bear markets turn into bull markets. Is it's yeah. uh, Bitcoin has shifted right. from the weak hands to the strong hands, yeah. right? And eventually, it'll all be in strong hands practically, and then people are all playing with you know until yeah. the fifty thousand Bitcoin is the whole liquid again. supply, right? The strong hands that that Wade hates, I love because, and it is also the reason I don't think that the financial world has already bought up all the old Bitcoins. I think there's a lot more uh, cypherpunk strong hand hodlers than, um, than other people think. So um, maybe we can take a quick poll. Um, when last did you spend a Bitcoin? I assuming that you have any. Spend? Yeah. Spend. Define spend. Spend as in you no longer have it. I actually spent all of my Bitcoin uh, two years ago. But just wasn't that a boating accident? Yeah, that was, well, I, I bought the boat. 
and then I lost the rest of the Bitcoin. And I believe you had to scuttle the boat for liability reasons. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, I don't, I don't spend my Bitcoin because it's a tax. It's a pain in the ass for taxes. And I prefer That's to do everything. I know a lot well, of people. When, so when last did you move a Bitcoin to to a wallet that you no longer own? If if I mean I, I don't know if I can need to get into any more specific about that. Spend Bitcoin. Or I, I, I bought spend some Bitcoin. Cardano two days ago. I'm gonna sell it. I'm gonna sell it at 500 sats. <laughs> bought it at 450. Time stamped. <laughs> So I'm actually in a low cash flow situation right now. So I convinced the person well, I rent my office from to accept Bitcoin. So I paid Bitcoin for rent uh, last month. That's really cool. That yeah. they accepted wait, wait. Yeah. Do you need any more office space? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I, I mean, when I was uh, renting uh, in grad school, I was paying. That's really the last time I was spending Bitcoin because I didn't have an income. And then when I have income, I'm buying Bitcoin again. I went to um, a Bitcoin conference that, yeah. that uh, you know, I don't know if you had to pay for it in Bitcoin or, or I did. That was one of the options, yeah. Yeah. I paid for a training course in Bitcoin. But again, it's all related to my cash flow situation. Like if I had fiat money coming in right now, I probably wouldn't pay for anything Your life in Bitcoin. is denominated in Bitcoin. Yeah, it is right now. I'm helping. I'm helping the economy. I, I'm being the anti-hodler right now. <laughs> He's a job creator. I bought uh, steak knives on overstock.com for Bitcoin. Nice. And if, I also if, bought a t-shirt. Listen, I, here's the, I don't, it will be, if after the next run up, I want us all to sell at the top so we can enjoy the bear market in luxury instead of one of just, us yeah, being no, no. awkwardly poor because they hodled. Can you, <laughs> just tell me when that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, you, can you alert us when, that, yeah. when we get yeah, there? The There's going to be a blow off top. We just need to figure out when that the problem with, with that is it's even if you're 80% sure, like say, say it's like uh, in 2017, 2018, uh, the big bubble, say you're 80% sure that 19.5 is the top. What if you're wrong and it goes to 100,000? Mm, and, and people think it can't go that high, but it's only constrained. During, during a period of such insane speculation, it's only constrained by the miners producing coins. So uh, it can go very high. You're, you're not guessing. You're also trying to guess the next bottom. That's the other key is you're going to try to buy back in and get whatever you sold back plus right. like scalp them. Yeah. And again, yeah. even if you're pretty sure, you're, you're never 100%. Well, I mean, we, if you're 90% sure, you're still taking a big risk. In hindsight, it's so easy. It's, right. It is so painful to like someone, I think it was plan, the plan B guy. Um, it is so painful if you try and do that and maybe even succeed in doing that. You sell it at 15000 it goes up to 16,000, 17,000, 18,000. It's, it's, it is so painful. And, hold, and, and on the flip side, um, it's so hard to buy when it gets low. Because it's like, wait, maybe I'm wrong. Was it? You know, it's just, these are the, those are the two hardest things to do. So it's like it's really, you're, you're really defying human nature. I, I actually yeah. think that the Bitcoin cycle is obvious. And that if you had someone who is objective they could get you out at the right time and predict where it's going to go back to in the problem. But the problem is that you're not going to find that objective person who's willing to step back and just do the Danger Will Robinson. (laughs) No, I I, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, if we could apply objectivity to everything, there'd be no issues. I'm not planning on buying back. So I'm I'm with you on 
like I said, if it goes to 20K the next six months and it goes to 100K in, in two months, I'm going to buy some land or some real estate or something, but I'm not planning on buying back when it's low. You're not, you're not going to try to scalp it? Yeah, just because of like what Ron said. I, I find that to be super stressful, and I don't think I trust myself enough. And also, I don't want to like have to confess to you guys that I'm selling Bitcoin just because I think it's going to drop. I want to always be bullish. Always be bullish. Perma-bull. I'm saying what I'm, there's, there's, a, some, there's, there's another some, layer. There's of something between hodling and between selling everything at the top, trying to time it with all your savings. Well, yeah. You want to do something in between. I'm, not, I'm saying definitely don't hodl all of it and definitely don't sell everything. Cycle. But no. you should play it because it's obvious. But the other problem with what you're saying is this obviousness that you're talking about. Okay, now we have like maybe three data points. And everyone sees these three data points. And you know what happens when everyone sees this obvious thing? It's going cra- to crash differently? It goes away, yes. But do you think it's going to crash faster? No, actually, it'll smooth it out. I, I, I agree. It, I, won't I, go, it won't peak the way it peaked last time. I, I think it will. I think it'll be yeah, muted. Maybe this I think the peak, muted, peaks right? and troughs will be less than yeah, that. I think the trough yeah. will be less. But I think the weak hands will sell. There's going to be a point in time where, for no apparent reason, 29 of the last 31 days, Bitcoin's price went up and everybody got on board. And those people can't handle one week of downturns, which will crash the price and send us into a bear market. The, the ups have been, sure. these peaks have been going, are, are smaller. The troughs are smaller. Um, and if that continues, now the, there's a compounded problem now. And, and this is, look, the, 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 we're nowhere near the first people to get into this, right? It's like you have to do that and do it in a way that um, beats the tax, you know, the tax, uh, yeah. you know, pain that you're going to face. I would yeah. say even if you did right. nothing, do one percent, so you have one percent experience with real money, so that at some point you're sure. going to have to sell out. At some point, you're, I'll give you ten percent, or may, maybe not. But at you're most welcome. people, at some point, plan to do the buy land strategy, as opposed to just keep their savings one hundred percent Bitcoin till the end of time. They are going to diversify into something. So practice at some point. Don't be, but hodling 100%, that's, that's not really helping it, you. It, it sounds like what you're saying is that hodling permanently, there's, there's, there's no solution for hodling permanently. Like there's no, there's out no there. end goal. There's, there's no end goal, right? Maybe that's, that's what I should have said. This, is that at some point hodling. you need to know when to hold and when to fold. At some point you need to know when no to exit. Don't lie to yourself that a bear market couldn't last for 10 years. Have you seen the education we're going to get at that bear market? Have you seen the stock? Are you familiar with Plan B stock to flow model? I have not done it. I'm excited to look it up, though. Yeah, I'm going to look it up after the meetup. To me, it's everything. It's the most important chart in Bitcoin. Is it like the. It's it's on the stock to flow as an economic concept because it already existed. This guy, but the 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 comparison of stock to flow to price of the asset done by Plan B, he's a hundred trillion on on Twitter, and it's just incredibly accurate um, how well he's modeled the Bitcoin price and gold price and silver price based Uh, on stock to flow. I've looked at this and. I don't have a scientific opinion of it, but I was very skeptical, and I remain very skeptical of that. This is being this is being atta- this is being analyzed by the the smartest quants in finance, and they are trying to show that it is correlation without causation, and they're failing. In fact, there was one guy that published he just published a retraction saying he was wrong, and that it was that that his that his debunking was wrong. The, the causation. 
is say always it. supply and say demand, it, right? Say it, Steve. <laughs> say it. There's no such thing as causation. Well, I'll take this up with you offline. Yeah. I do want to hear it. I do want to hear it. We have to say this. I do want. I do want to hear it. Came up today before we turned on the mics in the but living room. This model is it's it's not supply. It's you could talk about supply and demand all you want. This model says that if you have a scarce asset, if you know its stock to flow ratio, you know its price. Okay, but full stop. I, I'm skeptical of that. So stock to flow, and educate me because I didn't read the article carefully, yeah. and it was a long time ago. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna play the per, the part of a naive person as I am in this case. Stock to flow only really measures the supply side. Is that correct, or is that that's correct? Well, it measures no, the but but this analysis is stock to flow on the x-axis. So stock to flow is one axis, and then prices on, on, price. on the other axis. So where is demand? Yeah. Because demand needs to be it's, there. It's in it's price. Not. It's like stock well, to like it, demand would be baked into the price axis, right? Well, yes, but yeah. but the model is saying that you can identify the price, yeah, and it, it's not correlated to demand. I, I'm not That's mad at that. If you look yeah. at the if yeah. you look at the US That's the most amazing element of it. If you look at the USD printing. Um, how much it gone up out of control, and then the price in gold—it makes sense. Like it, it didn't get out of control. Like it went up about. We printed sixteen times as much dollars, and it's worth gold is worth about sixteen times as much in dollars. Like it's pretty close. I, I didn't follow that because there's I don't remember anything about dollars with gold. What? Oh, I was just saying that. So at some point, so a dollar was worth this many in a, like. $23 bought an ounce of gold, right? Okay. We've printed, but then we've inflated the supply mm. of dollars mm. a ton, but the total dollar supply still buys about the same amount of gold. I see. So this, this actually goes to what I was talking about earlier with uh, mm. the stock to flow yeah. with gold. Um, gold has a stock to flow of one to 71 or something like that with the amount of gold produced in a year. Uh, I think it's the 71 years of gold is produced every year. Um, that if you have a high stock to flow, it creates price st stability. That, that is a like belief in gold that if the stock to flow ratio is high, that's what causes gold to be stable. Gold has a, a, a very um, quantifiable stock to flow ratio. It's and, very consistent. Yeah, and so that that is that's the point that I was trying to get to earlier, which I think is also consistent with what you're saying. With we've been printing a lot of, of, of money. Well, when you denote gold in U.S. dollars, it correlates. It exists to be compared yeah. Um, yeah. equally. Um, but no, I, I I think the stocks to flow thing is is pretty darn interesting. But what's even more interesting is that we will never ever ever have the answers. And I'm excited for the next 25 years to keep coming back to these podcasts um, to, to discuss this and, and have a hopefully a better sense for the next thousand episodes when we get to but, Budcoin session uh, 1012. Yeah. This is a dangerous game we're playing because someone could dig this up in 20 years and we could sound like Paul Krugman. I may get a steak dinner and I'm going to demand like vat-grown steak and Mars. <laughs> I think it wasn't your bet like the only time you would win the bet would be post your death. Pretty much. <laughs> like so the incentive Dude, obviously we should all betting take on the cybernetics, bro. <laughs> you, you need to securitize your uh, your potential winnings. Yeah. Sell them off to investors. Put it in my will. 
Yeah, and rehypothecate re yeah. <laughs> Exactly. But then I'm betting against myself. <laughs> Got a hedge. You want to wrap it up soon? Or, uh, or uh, two hours. Yeah, we should shoot for two hours. Anybody got any uh, last words they want to say? I just want to say that this is definitely investment advice because I have already considered the objectives and rewards of every person listening to this podcast. Yes. I know exactly what your personal situation is, and my advice is to buy Bitcoin. You should act on these words. You should definitely act on these words. Can I get sued for this, Jared? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Oh, I went with the one last factoid just because it happened to me this week where I ran to someone who was advocating silver as because its price ratio to gold is at historically low prop things. And the stock to flow ratio we've all been talking about is the reason that the silver price is probably not going to correct against gold because... We've learned the lesson over time that when it does correct, they, they just start mining silver way too fast, and the price goes back down to a depressed level. Can't mine more Bitcoin. That's correct. All right. See you guys next week. Bye. <laughs> Bye. You got to check out Stock the Flowers.